Welcome et bienvenue à ton local podcast. So the overarching premise for all this is trying to uncover why is it that Russell has been basically voted the third best place to live in all of Canada, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. And so I figured part of the way of doing that is going and talking to all the active members of the community, as many as I can, yeah. and just get an understanding of their experience in, in the community, what brought them here, what their life was like before and after, yeah, how it's shaped them, how they're shaping the, the places around them. Yeah. And just really step-by-step step start to have a deeper understanding because there is... In the articles that I've read, there's, you know, the generic things of low crime, low cost of housing, high income per house. Yeah. Uh, the criteria, if you will, right? Yeah, the criteria. But there's so much more to that then. Well, that's it. And the, the, the criteria is just a, a baseline to compare everybody. And what I tell people is, yes, we're voted the third best place to live in Canada for all those criterias. Um, but I think if you go deeper into that and you see what the actual community is about, all the things that we strive to be or that we're fantastic are at aren't included in that survey. Right. So it's, it's, it's always awesome to see, like, I was just at an event last night for the, the King Club of Russell with her catch the ace, you know, they raised almost a million dollars for different charities locally. And you, you actually double it, right? Because half of the funds went to the winners. So almost $2 million was raised in our community. And that was just, it was just mind-blowing. I, I mean, if I think of all the, the fundraising activities that go on in not just Russell Township, but all around, you know, $2 million is, you know, that's usually like a city of Ottawa type fundraiser, right? Yeah. Like it's, yeah, yeah. it's amazing for a population of approximately 20,000 people. You know, it's nice that they were online and they were bringing in money from the exterior, you know, from all over Ontario, which is fantastic because that's what you want. You know, you want money from outside coming in. That's why you want local tourism, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, no, it was, it's, we have an amazing community. Absolutely. And I'm curious to know a little bit like the, the history of you, lead, like where you came from. And then how you got to be where you are, like <laughs> the mayor of this yeah, community. Yeah, it, it's funny. It's funny because... I would have never pictured myself a politician. Yeah. Like that was never something I ever considered, right? Uh, you know, I, I grew up uh, in Ottawa and Vanier. Uh, me, both me and my wife were originally from there. And then uh, when, we, uh, when we got married, bought a house, um, had a, our first son, and then uh, got broken into twice within a matter of probably about six months. And I was like, okay, that's time. You know, your mindset changes. I, like oh, I yeah. had no issues growing up there, right? I grew up in Vanier, you know, it was, you know, I was, I was the kid who was in fights every few months and that's just the way it was. But when I became a dad, I was like, well, that's not what I want for my kid, right? So we ended up moving to Castleman and uh, I was, uh, I was a manager with Rogers Video at the time and I was actually working overnights cleaning the McDonald's in Castleman. Because, you, you know, when you're a young family, you do what you got to do to survive. And uh, then work transferred me to Canada. <laughs> so I was, they made me the manager of the store in Canada. And I think I did a couple of months in the wintertime. And I was like, I wasn't happy. And uh, then uh, our second son was born. And I was actually on parental leave. And my sister lived in Embram. So I talked with her. Or we went over for supper and we were just chatting. And I was complaining of the fact I got transferred. And she's like, well, why don't you open a convenience store? 
I'm like, what do I know about convenience store? Like, I know nothing about a convenience store. Like, I know video stores, right? And she's like, well, our friend owns the mall and there was a store there, shelves, coolers, everything's there, right? So I was like, oh. So I went to talk to him and a uh, great guy, Pat, and he said to me, he goes, look, he goes, it was just, it wasn't well managed. And that's what the problem was. So originally the plan was, well, I'll just open it and staff it and I'll keep my full-time job. And uh, so I opened it while I was on paternal leave and it became evident that, you know, I didn't want to go back to my other job, mm. you know? Um, and we were still living in Castleman at the time. Um, and after, a, a, about a month of working, I'll say 5am till about 11 o'clock every day, Yeah, <laughs> I drove home and. So you're I, living in Castleman, but working in Canada. I was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then when I opened the store, I was working from five in the morning to 11 night at the store. And after a month, I drove home and I pulled into the driveway and I was like, I don't remember driving home. Yeah. Like I was just, I was like burning it at both ends of the candle, right? It was just like crazy. So I walked in and I said to my wife, I said, we're moving to Emrim. Like I didn't open a store so I wouldn't see you and the kids. So yeah, within, uh, within a short period of time, we sold the house. Uh, my parents helped me out. They were afraid the store wouldn't work out. So they're like, okay, we'll buy a house and you can rent off us. Right. So that if ever I go bankrupt, well, it, nothing's lost. Right. Yeah. So I'd still have a head over uh, a roof over my head. So we did that. And then, you know, uh, the early days of the store, you know, we had a playpen and the kids, the Lynn would come and visit and, you know, she'd help out with the store. She was taking care of all the bookkeeping stuff. I was the face of the store, but it was really a partnership between the two of us. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's where it started. And I got to know a lot of people in the community and then uh, f fast forward to, you know, probably about, I'd say about 10 years uh, by that time I was on the, the fire department and I'd left the fire department, uh, great experience. But at one point when your heart's not in it anymore, yeah. like give, give your spot available to somebody else. So that's what I did. Yeah. Especially that. that well, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it was, it was a great experience. It was a, a great opportunity to be a role model for my kids volunteering and stuff. Um, but things were going on at the store. I was opening a second location and, you know, it was just like, okay, like it's getting too busy. And I said, you know, uh, it's, it's not my priority anymore. So then, uh, yeah. So then, uh, I was in 2010 and uh, a buddy of mine, you know, how I got into politics is I ran into the mayor of the day back in 2008, I think it was at the, at the local post office. And I said, Hey, how's it going? And he was like, good, good. Trying to raise your taxes again. <laughs> and the way he said it was so condescending. I was like, I was like, I was literally pissed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I, uh, that was on a Friday afternoon and we were playing poker that night and I was complaining to all my friends. I was like, I can't believe he's so nonchalant, you know, with our money. Yeah. And uh, one of my buddies is like, well, why don't you run for council? I'm like, run for council? What are you talking about? I know nothing about politics. He's like, no, no, man, it's a popularity contest. You own the video <laughs> store, you know everybody, you know, you'll get in. I was like, yeah, whatever, you know. So I was 2000 late, and, but he had planted the seed. And in 2010, when the election came around, I was like, you know, I think I want to do this. I knew nothing about council. Like I literally had never been to a meeting, never looked at a budget, nothing. But I wanted to serve my community. 
mm-hmm. with, like I did with the fire department. So, and I had seen things on my time at the fire department that the township controlled. I said, well, I want to try and make things better. So that's how I went about it. I, I designed my sign to look exactly the same as my store sign. Mm. So it was funny because nobody knew who Pierre Leroux was. Yeah. But the kids are the ones who were telling the parents when they saw the signs, oh, it's Pierre Fis. And then they were like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> like that's the, that's the font and the colors and everything. So I ended up and it was, it was super busy because I put my name for the election and then an opportunity came in to open the store in Castleman. So I actually opened the store and ran an election at the same time. I didn't do any door to door campaigning. I said, if I get in, I get in. Yeah. If I don't, I don't. Um, yeah. And I got in with the, the second highest number <laughs> of votes I was, and I missed first place by like 90 votes. I was like, man, imagine if I actually took the time to knock on a door. And, uh, yeah, so it was, it was, I got in, I remember the next day after the election at like five o'clock in the morning at the store, turning on the computer, going on the municipal website and being like, well, I guess I should look at a budget now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I started looking at the budget and some flags went off. I was like, Hey, what's this? What's this? What's this? Yeah. Um, and that was my, that's how I got into politics, you know? And if, if I, you know, fast forward another f- four years, um, I was comfortable in my role as uh, as councillor. Uh, you know, I the the former mayor JP Saint Pierre was a great mo- role model. He was a mentor. I, you know, he was he really took the time to show me you know how things worked on council, um, and I was comfortable. Business was doing well. Um, you know, I had uh, my sister was running the store in Castleman. My mom was running the store in Embrum, and I said, you know, I've always wanted to go to college. And I never got an opportunity to go to college. I mean, we had kids like right out. My wife went to college. I met her during her college life. I went straight into the workforce. So I said, I'm going to college. And I signed up for the journalism program at Algonquin. And uh, I did about a month, six weeks. And right in the middle of the election, um, just before midterms, uh, JP, the mayor, passed away. So then it was like, wow, like didn't see that one coming. You know, it was just, he went to sleep, never woke up. And uh, it, it was interesting because we had had conversations, me and JP, you know, about succession planning. We were talking about who would replace this employee or that employee when, you know, that director left and that kind of stuff. So I remember saying him jokingly, well, who's going to replace you? I was like, well, that's easy. That's, you're going to replace me. I was like, oh man, I'm not going to replace. I don't have the patience to, you know, I was very confrontational as a counselor. Mm. And he's like, no, no, you'll be fine. But what I didn't realize is that he had told a whole bunch of people that someday I would be replacing him. Mm. So when he passed, I had a whole bunch of people that were like, are you running? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, he's like, and it was scary, right? Because... I was in a position where if I didn't run, then who would take that spot? Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a few days where it was like, I don't know what to do. Like it was like, I just started college and, you know, and you know, that wasn't, it was a game plan in talking with JP that, you know, one or two terms down the road, Yeah, you know, after I did other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I decided to run 
And all of a sudden I went from my first election where I didn't do nothing basically to all of a sudden I've got a team of like 20, 30 people knocking on doors and a whole campaign manager team. And I'm like, it was just, it was just surreal. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then, then I won and it was like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> now what? <laughs> so yeah, so it, it was just, and it, it was, uh, it was difficult in a sense because and um, because I was running against two other people that were never been on council. Uh, one individual had been a former mayor in his previous life, you know, somewhere else. Um, and then I was running against a fellow councillor who had more experience than me, who had been there longer than me. Um, and because it was a by-election, if either one of us lost, we still get to keep her position. So now, now I found myself with a council where I had a councillor who ran against me and I was like, you know, I got to start building those bridges because me and him was like fire and water. We were always at it as counselors. And I have to say, you know, um, you know, we've been, you know, on council together for almost 11 years now. And it was, it was the first year was, was difficult. Um, but I think that we, we've grown in our relationship, which is, is nice because now he's somebody I can count on. You know, we don't always agree and that's what, you know, but I respect him and yeah. I respect his opinion. I respect his, his experience because it's, it's something that's, you need to have, um, strong people on council because you want to make sure that your residents are heard. Right. And not like there's 20,000 people in the township. I don't know everybody. Yeah. You know, I have a general sense of what people are looking for. Um, you know, I'm, I'm active on social media, but I don't necessarily talk to everyone. Like I remember going to the Russell fair this summer and being with my wife and I knew some of the volunteers helping out. But I was like, Whoa, I really don't know anybody. Yeah. Here. Especially with the amount of growth we see in the township. Right. So no, it's a, that's pretty much my story. You know, it's how I came to be, um, sitting at a poker game and the buddy saying <laughs> you should run. And I'm like, what? And that's how I ended up here. But I got to say, once I, I, I became mayor, I fell in love with the position. Like it was just, it was, it was, you, I found my calling, you know, uh, you, you know, you always hear that you have to find something in love, uh, in life that you love doing. And if you find that, then you'll never work a day in your life. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's where I am in my career. And, you know, I just, I so love what I'm doing. It's, you know, it's not always easy. <laughs> You know, there's been some subjects, especially over the last couple of years where it's like, didn't see these things coming. Um, pandemic to be one and everything. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the pandemic didn't see that one coming. And I'll say, um, I think during the pandemic, people spent so much time on social media that, oh, yeah. you know, all of a sudden everybody's a keyboard warrior and every little thing um, has become a big issue. Whereas it wouldn't have been a big issue two, three years ago before the pandemic, but now it's, you know, like our, our calls for service from our bylaw has just gone through the roof because people are calling for every little thing, you know, and it's a little, it's a little, uh, unfortunate that people, you know, talk to your neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Often it's like, oh, my neighbor's doing this. Did you talk to him? Well, no. Yeah. Well, maybe you should like, you know, that just share how you're feeling, you know, Unfortunately, it's, it's the world we live in where it's easier to send an email than to actually go see somebody face to face. But we'll, uh, 
we're we're getting through it. I think there's a light at the end of the tunnel, right? So oh, yeah. it, it seems like it seems like we're getting there. So I'm looking forward to the days of of going back to events and you know being able to hug people and shake hands and stuff. So it's uh, it'll come back. Absolutely. And that's what I'm kind of working towards, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> things are starting to open up. People are starting to become more comfortable with engaging with each other yep. and going around and talking and having these conversations specifically, I feel, I hope will make it easier yeah. that from a distance people can hear about each other and know a bit more about each other. So that way we can get to that deeper sense of a community that we can understand that we're all layered and complex people and that we're all trying our best. Yeah. And the events and supporting people who are active within the community, trying to make a difference either through business or civil service or just hosting little volunteer things, things that get people out of their houses, away from screens and in front of each other. Well, that's it, right? And it, it's, um, it's interesting you put it that way because I, uh, I got counsel to approve a new program at the township, which is uh, called Learn to Connect which is, uh, and, and it was funny how it started because I've been taking, uh, I've been taking courses over the last, God, I'll say six, six, almost seven years now through Dow University and University of Alberta, all related to local government. Mm-hmm. My last course is now, once I'm done that, I'll get my cert, uh, my, uh, certification as a, a certified local government manager. But it gave me an opportunity to learn a lot of stuff in regards to local government and a lot about uh, community development, economic development, that kind of stuff. So during the course, you know, I was reading up on different things and I threw it out there on social media and I just said, Hey guys, just curious, you know, if, if food for thought Friday, you know, if we were offering free courses at the township, would like, would you give your services as a teacher free? Mm Mm-hmm. And people started, yeah, yeah, you know, I'd be passionate about this. I'd give a free course on this and that. And so I, I let it mull and I was seeing all these responses. So I said, well, let's, let's actually investigate this. So I, I brought it to council and I said, look, this is what I'm proposing. You know, we offer spaces. We help with advertising in our, in our, our brochures and that kind of stuff. We give the facilities for free and teachers are teaching for free and the residents get to take the courses for free, yeah. right? It's a win, win, win. And uh, council approved it. So we put out the call and I was super happy because we got, I think it was 12 applications for courses and it's not like courses that we currently offer, right? It's stuff that, you know, one of them was uh, mental health for seniors as you're aging. One was... Um, was uh financing you know how to how to you know schools are great at teaching a lot of stuff but not necessarily real world stuff right and i have three you know young men now not teenagers anymore but you know that was something they had a hard time at school is you know i could teach them that kind of stuff and i did my best but i mean they're teenagers right so they never (laughs) they never listened to dad anyways and now they're they're slowly learning because what's that expression 25 is the new 18 so they'll get there eventually yeah um but yeah courses like that so i was hoping to have the program launched for this fall uh unfortunately with the pandemic and the restrictions Mm -hmm. it's still so i've i've kind of pushed it back to january but i mean there was like belly dancing courses and it was this pretty interesting courses and one of the one of the we have a uh, a local uh, group of people if you will it's called the uh, russell uh, board game society yeah you know and it was like 
So they're going to have a night a week or two nights a week or whatever, and they'll have board games and people can go and play. I mean, everybody's got a passion. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what your passion is. Chances are somebody shares that passion. So why not share it with your community Absolutely. And, and, and try and rebuild those connections? So, you know, I think that's, that's the really, uh, at the core of it, what makes this community so great is that there are so many people who are willing to give their time, who are willing to build those relationships, who, whether they're doing it uh, consciously or not, it's in them. It's in, it's ingrained in them. Like, I mean, I think of a few people in the community in Russell and Embram, and when they decide they want to do something, like they'll mobilize the troops to get it done. You know, all the different social organizations we have, uh, Club Optimist, King Club, Lions Club, Chevalier Colon, there, there's so many groups of people who are willing to help. I mean, just here in Embram, for example, the, uh, the splash pad, was fully donated by Club Optimist and they're still doing it to this day. They're raising funds to make it even bigger. I mean, the dog park was a volunteer led program. Oh, no way. Yeah. It was, it was one person in Embrum, Madame M.O. Uh, Julie, who really wanted a dog park. Yeah. <laughs> and she mobilized some people and she came and she, she did tons of fundraising and approached the, the township and the township, uh, you know, agreed to the land and we put a little bit of money, but the vast majority was all volunteers coming together and getting her done. That's beautiful. Yeah. So it's when you, when you have people like that, that's, what makes the difference. So I always tell people they're like that are especially new to the community. You want to get people, you want to meet people, you want to get to know your neighbors, find a way to volunteer, whether it's in kids sports, whatever the case is, build those bridges. Yeah. Cause that's, what's making our community so strong right now. And that's the worry, right? Because the town's getting bigger. And if you don't put an effort in to build those bridges, then it's just going to continue growing and everybody will lose touch and, you know, it'll just be a place where you sleep. Yeah. And I don't think that's what people necessarily want. They want to, it's human nature to want to have a connection with somebody else. And there's so many opportunities here, that, which is incredible. So... I am very glad to receive the brochure when I do at the front door and I go through it every time to see what's being offered and who's being active and how it's changing. You know, for me, I've been living in Ottawa for well over a decade mm -hmm. and recently moved back, right? So yeah. I was here until my teens, then left, and now I've come back and it's it's neat to see what hasn't changed and to see what has changed and almost by like being forced to have to be here, yeah. to be present, to invest in my local vicinity. And also just philosophically, like I, it's, it just makes sense too, of like yeah. to be happy and to, to make best with what we have. Well, I've always said, and I, I've mentioned this numerous times at the, you know, the, the municipal level, regional level with Prescott Russell is, you know, when you, they do studies and stuff and they say, oh, you know, uh, the workforce, you know, we're losing a bunch of the workforce, you know, after high school kids are leaving. I go, well, yeah, it's normal. We yeah. don't have college here. We don't have university yeah. here. The kids are going to leave hundred percent. You can't stop that. But what you can do is you can create an atmosphere that they had such a great childhood mm. living here that when they decide to have their families, they're going to want to come back. 
mm-hmm. and they're going to want to raise their families here. And we see that. We see that. I mean, the amount of growth we've seen in our community is incredible, but it's a lot of young families. Yeah. You know, and I mean, we have, I think, what is it? Nine schools in Russell Township and we have a 10th being planned right now. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, and with, you know, the challenge in our community right now, I think it's a challenge everywhere, but is daycare services. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. that's a huge concern for a lot of parents. You know, I think there's, there's the other level of governments are working on that. And even us, we're working on how we can help facilitate things. Right. Um, you know, we have at the dome, for example, mom and tots, you know, for, you can come in and, you know, certain periods of time where they have free activities for that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a good problem to have. We're in a, we're in a fantastic situation, but like anything else, when you grow, there's growing pains. So we have to adjust as we move forward. Um, but no, overall it's, it's, it's amazing the amount of youth that are coming in here which is perfect because as the young families are coming in, you're also attracting the older generation who, well, they want to be closer to their grandkids. Yeah. So they're going to say, well, maybe, you know, we move closer to the family and that kind of stuff. So it's a good problem to have. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And especially that the growth has taken place during a pandemic when people can't really get to know each other and interact with each other. And a lot of, I'm assuming a lot of people move from the city, which doesn't really have, you know, like a neighborly vibe. Well, that's it. That's it. I think that it's, it's, um, this, the social media aspect. I've seen people who are like, you know, Hey, I'm moving to the area, you know, and people are like super welcoming. Oh, great. You know, and they, they start, uh, you know, Oh, join this group, join that group, you know, making, you know, this, um, which happens great, but then it's social media is double-edged short because soon as people join those groups and then, you know, then some of the groups, it's just negative, negative, yeah. negative, negative, negative. And then you're, you're, the people are joining and then they're like, if that's all they see because they can't go out and <laughs> interact, it's like, oh, you know, that's not a good feeling. Yeah. So we definitely have to attract people like soon as this pandemic is properly over, then we really have to start pushing, you know, that reconnection, because if we don't, then, you know, it can spiral out of control. It's like anything else, right? It's, you know, it's just a drop in the bucket. Mm -hmm. At one point that bucket overfills if you're not paying attention. So we have to really make sure that uh, we're on top of it. Are there any public places that you guys are thinking of advertising certain events like boards or banners or so that way it's not just relying on emails and social media as a way to get the word out. Yeah. Well, we've, uh, I mean, we, we have our, our, um, board at city hall. Um, you know, I've, I've been pushing since, since I got into, uh, to politics, one of the big things I've been pushing for is different communication tools. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it used to be 30, 40 years ago, you know, you either had a radio you had television, the newspaper, or you told somebody's grandma and she told everybody <laughs> in town, right? There was always that one or two people in town that would make sure the message oh, got yeah. known, right? <laughs> um, but now, you know, I mean, people are on their phone. And mm-hmm. if, if you don't have their intention in the first five seconds, they're just scrolling you by, right? Yeah. And that's hard for, not just for the township, but for any business, if you will. It's how do you 
create that conversation. Like, you know, I've had a lot of people over the years that say, well, I didn't know about this or I didn't know about that. Well, we put it out on our social media. We have it on our website. It's part of our flyer that goes out every few months. You know, there was probably a story in the local newspaper. Communication is a two-way street. Yeah. You have to want to receive that information. You have to want to, you know. So I encourage people, you know, I get it. Council meetings, most for most people, is very, very boring, right? It, it, unless there's a subject that you really care about, you're not going to sit there and watch a, a council meeting. Chances are, like, no. Like when we had them in person, we usually had one or two people that came to our council meetings, yeah. right? Um, so that's why I started doing like council wrap-up videos where like it's a minute here. We talked, you know, these are the highlights, if you will, and go on our website. And so at least there's some sense of trying to keep the community engaged yeah. uh, during the pandemic simply because I needed my, my mental health. Uh, <laughs> I, I created the, you know, I started doing Facebook and doing like podcasts with residents and businesses and social organizations, just like this, just have a conversation, right? So we could have some sort of connection and, and then, you know, being on Facebook, then, I, you know, people get to watch and interact if, if the conversation allows it, right? Yeah. So no, it's, it's, um, are you still doing those conversations? I, I'm bringing them back. Okay. I will be bringing them back. It was just, uh, you know, I do them on Wednesday nights at 7 PM and, uh, you know, soon as summer rolled around, well, nobody's watch. nobody's necessarily <laughs> watching Facebook live at 7 PM, right? They're out on the deck enjoying a drink oh, or yeah. in the pool. Right. So as a, you know, I'll probably be coming back in the next three, four weeks. I've got to line up a few people. Um, I'm actually working on it. Uh, I, I've pitched the idea to staff as well to see if staff would be willing to come on and do it. Um, you know, it, there's some apprehension mm -hmm. from staff, right? Because it's it's not part of their job description, yeah. and, you know, and, and I totally get that. Um, but I, I'm trying, what I want to try and do is try and get a sense that um, the township, yes, is a government organization, but it's made up of people who really, really care about our community. Yeah. You know, and so, and having a conversation, understanding who these people are, I think makes a big difference because I, I actually had an, an email exchange with a, a resident in the last two weeks where he really wasn't happy, you know, and I said, well, let's just meet and talk about it over the phone or this and that, you know, and it just seemed like I would email something and he'd interpret it a certain way and it wasn't the way I was intending it. And I'm like, this is what's happening over email, right? I'm trying to say something, you're interpreting it differently than my intention and I'm possibly doing the same with your response because mm -hmm. there was, you know, I think I was understanding your response because it was pretty aggressive, but maybe his initial aggression wasn't what he intended, right? Um, at the end of the day, he doesn't want to meet. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm like, so, and staff get that all the time too. Staff, you know, are trying to, are trying to communicate with residents and, you know, and, and there's the, the, um, the language barrier, if you will, like as well, right? Because we're a very bilingual community, but not everybody speaks French, not everybody speaks English. So we, we have staff who are communicating in their languages, not necessarily their mother tongue. And the other person is taking objection to that. So it's like sometimes, you know, after two emails, my go-to is like, okay, let's have a face-to-face. -face. Yeah. Because, and I've said it 
maybe it's because I, I'm not becoming, <laughs> my temperament is changing a little bit as I, as I get older, but it's, you know, I had to say to a resident the other day in an email I, who didn't want to meet. And I was like, if we were face to face, would you be talking to me this way? Because mm-hmm. I don't think you would be, mm-hmm. you know, like, and it's, it make people have to realize I've always told my boys, if you're not willing to say it to somebody's face, you don't put in an email and you don't put in a text mm-hmm. because that, you know, to me, that's just a form of cowardism. You know, you, you should be able to have a conversation with somebody. You won't always agree with people, but at least, you know, don't take shots if you will, mm-hmm. <laughs> because I mean, it's not going to help the situation whatsoever at all. No. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's human nature. If you feel you're being attacked, you're going to get defensive. And part of the defense is, is not going to interpret well to the person attacking. Right. Yeah. You know, and I've, I've had somebody comment to me, well, you know, I can't believe your staff responded that way. And I was like, you were degrading to the staff. And you know, the boss basically said you could have asked a little bit nicer and you're insulted that he called you out on it. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, be realistic. Like, how would you react? You know? And it's like, Sometimes as, as human beings, we have to take a step back and try and understand the other side of things, whereas there, understand the other person's perspective. Because uh, there's always, a, um, what are they called, memes or just, you know, something that's show, uh, shared on social media. And it's a picture of two people standing, pointing at the ground, and there's the number 69. Yeah. The guy's like saying, it's a six, it's a nine, yeah. you know? And it's like, yeah, you know, you can, you could, both points can be valid you know, depending on how you're looking at it. Yeah. And that's again, why I think having these opportunities for people to meet face to face and to genuinely do the things that build a a healthier community are so important. Yeah. Like the, it's a double edged sword, the ability to send a a message asynchronous, like instantaneously. Yeah. And it's logged and it's forever maintained is great in so many regards, but it can also just allow for our impulses and our... (laughs) Well, the the internet has given um, a microphone or a a bullhorn to so many people who shouldn't have a bullhorn, right? Who, 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 I shouldn't say shouldn't, I should say who normally uh, wouldn't have had a bullhorn, right? The guy who's yelling in the crowd "Ah, ah," and most people would just ignore, (laughs) right? But now it seems that they're, they're feeding off each other. One guy screams, the other guy, Hey, yeah, you're right. You know? And he encourages him. He'll scream louder. And they just seem to be feeding off each other. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it's just like, kaboom, this, this big, you know, big thing is going on. And, and for the, you know, for the most part, it's, it's, it's good. There, there's strong changes that can come from uh, social media. You know, we've seen it over the last few years. Um, George Floyd, you know, that, that event blew up, but it needed to blow up. People needed to be aware. And we weren't immune. I mean, like uh, all of a sudden people were calling for the, the name change to Russell, yeah. right? Something that were the third best place to live in all of Canada. And the next day it was like, well, Russell townships are racists. And I was like, yeah, where the hell is this coming from? <laughs> like, you know, all of a sudden and, you know, and, and social media. And I was surprised. I got to admit, I was surprised how many people were contacting me that actually wanted to change the name. Mm-hmm. 
And I was like, I was blown away. I was like, really? And, you know, and then I was like, okay. And so we found a compromise in the sense that we're going to, we recognize that Peter Russell, who the town was named after, isn't a good role model. So we're going to pick a new Russell. We're going to find a new namesake and the community will be part of that exercise to, to find somebody. But, you know, social media was fantastic. We had all these hundreds, if not thousands of people that were, you know, fighting and upset with us. And the day that I put out a call saying we're creating a new community diversity committee, inclusion committee, equity, you know, the CDEI. <laughs> oh, okay. We're getting I, into I, the acronyms now. Yeah, I had, to, I had to think about that one. <laughs> and we did that. And then I had like 10 applications. Yeah. And I'm like, where is all these people <laughs> that this was the big thing? You know, this was a perfect opportunity for these individuals to, right? And and the worst part is it was like out of the 10 applications were like seven old white guys. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, this, this can't, we have to repost this. This, this is not happening. I'm, we're not putting together a community diversity committee and it's, it's, all old white men. I said, that can't happen. Mm -hmm. So we, we found, we, you know, we reposted it and it, 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 you know, it was a little bit more conversation going on and we have a great group of people that came on board. So I, I'm really happy with that, but it, it was, it was disappointing in the sense that there was this whole huge uproar in regards to racism in the township and this kind of stuff. And like, nobody wanted to, to step up. Yeah, part of the challenge of that narrative, of that belief, like if if I hold the belief that Russell Township is racist yeah. and then there's a call for an opportunity to be part of the community, that is going to create conflict within me. Yeah, and it, to, to try and, and find a solution, right? Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's, our, it's our right to um, complain about something. Like I, I always tell my kids, you know, we just had the election and, and my kids are like, oh, I'm not voting. I'm like, mm -hmm. why are you not voting? Well, I don't care. I said, <laughs> I said, okay, you know, you're a politician's son, right? Like this is not looking good on me, but we, we had a conversation and, you know, I, he's 19 years old or 20 years old now. And I get it. Like at that age, I wasn't the biggest fan mm -hmm. of, you know, going out to vote. But I said, you can't sit there and complain something down the road if you're not making your voice heard, like mm -hmm. I said, people died for us to have the right to vote. Right. So it's, and it, it's, I don't see it as a right to vote. I see it as a duty to, you know, and I always have those conversations with people who aren't happy about something. Did you vote? Well, no. Well, if you're not at least at the bare minimum voting, you know, do you have the right to complain about it? Like if, you know, of course you do, but I mean, step up and do something about it. If you're not happy, like I said earlier, like I wasn't happy with the mayor and his comment and that pushed me to say, eh, you know, I want to change something. So be a catalyst for change or, or participant in change, not just sit back and, you know, play the high moral card because you think it's going to get you more likes on Facebook or Twitter or something like actually do something about it. You know, educate yourself, learn, come to council meetings or, you know, have questions. The members of council are there to represent the, the public. Um, you know, so 
you have a question, just reach out, have a conversation with a member of council. We're more than willing to do so, but it's, it's, you gotta, you gotta get involved. If you want to have a better community, if you want things to a better township, and people have to get involved. There's no choice because if not, what you're doing, if, if you just vote every four years and you're not doing anything else, mm -hmm. you're basically saying to the five members of council, yeah, do what you want. And if I don't like it, I'll change it in four years. Is that the approach we want to take? Not too sure, you know, yeah. because if, if, if that's the approach we take, um, there's never any consistency. You know, there's municipalities out there right now who, who have five senior administrative positions. You know, they've gone through, uh, what is it, uh, seven CAOs in 12 years. You know, there's no consistency. Everything's out of whack. We're lucky. We've had consistency over the last 12, 13 years now. So it's very important to have, you know, to, uh, to understand what's going forward. And I, I truly believe the community has to be part of that. They have to let us know what's going on because as much as I think that I know what's going on in the community, if, you know, I could be completely off. Yeah. If, 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 if I'm somebody who doesn't pay attention or, or doesn't take the time to, to understand what people want, then you're just going to elect five people who will do what they think is best based on their own perceptions. And Again, might not be what the community wants, right? So yeah, less emails, also more calls, more conversations, more, call, <laughs> more calls, more conversations. You know, it's uh, it's so important to to if you know we talk about connection, we talk about you know making sure that's community we want. Well, community is not just five members of council and staff. Mm -hmm. You know, we have knowledge. Staff have great experience and stuff. Um, you know, uh, but. You know, the community can definitely be on the opposite page if if we don't, if nobody's telling us anything. Yeah. You know, usually that's it. what happens in politics is you'll have a situation where n nobody really pays attention. And then at the 11th hour, oh my God, they're doing this. They can't do that. And this big uproar and it's like, well, we've been doing surveys, we've been you know, calls to action, if you will. We've been asking the community for their feedback on this. And at the very last minute, you guys are upset because this is what we're looking at doing. Like, well, be part of the solution, you know, let us know. So, yeah. So it's uh, definitely, definitely an interesting job to have. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're saying that you feel it's your passion, that you you love what you're doing. Yeah. And so what about what you're doing for for me, um, I think it's it's that connection with people. Uh, you know that was that was one of the reasons I loved retail so much. The store that I had for seventeen years is because I got to talk to people and you know interact with people. So I had an opportunity to have those connections. Um, so for me, that's what it is, and I like the fact that I can help row and steer the boat at the same time, right? Like, you know, when we talk about management or councils and stuff, usually they, they steer the boat, but I just, I don't want to, I don't want to just steer because if you, like I could have, you know, a hundred people rowing and if I'm steering, they want to go to the left, I'm going to the right, you know? So I want to be part of that. And that's why I push the communication aspect so much is just so I can try and understand where 
as a, as a general rule where everybody's comfortable in the direction we're going. Right. Cause, um, the first rule, it was funny cause I, I met a, uh, impromptu. I ran into a group of uh, students the other day, a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, you know, I was, one of the students came up to me and he was passionate. He, he wanted to become a politician. Now, you know, he's in grade 11 or 12. And he said, what piece of advice can you give me? <laughs> and I was like, Hmm, good question. And I said, realize early on, you cannot make everybody happy. And if you try, you're just going to make everybody upset. And that's the reality is, you know, as much as I understand some people's point of view, you know, I have to weigh that against everybody else's point of view. You know, people are like, well, we want this road done in the budget. Okay, well, fine, I understand that. That's the number one request we get from people is they yeah. want their road paved. And I say, okay, but we have our roads um, evaluated by a set of ministry standards every three, four years. And, you know, we have a list, we go down and yours is on, you know, list number 10, we'll say, and it's not due for another three years. Well, they aren't happy. They want to be at the top. Okay. But the other nine before you are rated as being in worse shape. So what do you want me to go tell those people? How do I explain to those people that, I skipped all of you because you were next in line because I decided to do this guy. So that's a hard conversation to have. Yeah. Right. And most people, once they think about it, then they understand. Um, those who are able to look at things from a logical perspective, if they're looking at it from an emotional perspective, doesn't matter what I say, I won't be able to change their yeah. mind. Right. <laughs> it does, but I mean, I provide them the reasoning why we're doing something. And most people, when, when you provide the reasoning, they might not agree, but they understand. And I think that's, that's something that we've lost in, in social media specifically is all of a sudden, if you don't agree with me, you're the end of the world. Like you're the devil. And it's like, well, what happened to healthy debate? It used to be that you could be on opposite sides of someone and still be great friends. But it just seems that everything got so politicized in the last 10 years, I'll say. Yeah. That all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm not hanging around with you because you think differently than me. I'll go hang around with people who think the same way as me. And it's like, okay. Like, it, it just seems like there was a switch somewhere. And I can't pinpoint where that's for the academics to figure it out. <laughs> but it, it, it just seemed like all of a sudden things just spiraled out of control and you know now it's it's me versus you or you mm -hmm. know and even in society you look at it that way you know it's funny because uh we we're talking a little bit about elections and i've always i remember having a, a discussion um with uh one of the leaders of the provincial parties and he was asking me you know he asked me what i thought could be done to improve things and I said, well, I got one solution for you right off the bat. I said, what do you call uh, the party that's in power? And he goes, well, it's the government. I said, okay. What do you call the party that's not in power? He's like, well, it's the official opposition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I go, well, there's your issue right there. 
just in the title alone, they're supposed to oppose everything you're doing. Why don't you call them like a minority partner? Change, change that sense of dynamic so that you guys, you know, that it permits you to work together. Because that's a nice thing in municipal government is that we don't have parties. The five of us are elected by the people and we have to work together. And if we don't work together, then nothing's going to move forward and we're going to hear about it at the next election resounding, right? If all of a sudden, you, because in this township, there has been instances where you've had councils who have just fought, 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 fought. And, you know, we've lost out on some major stuff. And, you know, so I, you know, I'm glad that over the last 12 years, the, the, the councils I've been on for the most part, have worked together to try and move things forward. And that's, I think that's a, a testament to all the members of council past and present during those three terms that, you know, uh, put, have that mindset mm -hmm. that we work together. You know, like I've said to, uh, like I've said a few times, it's, you know, you, we might be at zero right now for whatever the baseline subject is. And a member of council might want it to get to a hundred. And I've told them, I said, if you ask for a hundred, it's not going to happen. But if you ask for 25 or 50, chances are it will move forward. And at that point in time, the next year, you ask for another 10, 20, 30. You'll eventually get to your 100, but you have to be able to do it in steps. Because if you're not willing to do it in steps and you're just going to vote against everything that because it's not your 100, then you're never going to get anything. And I mean, how's that? You know, so, you know, it's, don't think at it, don't think of it from a, I guess, a, uh, someone who, who like, uh, I'm missing the word there, but an it's activist, mm -hmm. right? Don't look at it from an activist point of view, because now you're a politician. And that's something that, that I've said to many people who have thought about running for council is... It's great when you're not on council and during the election, you get to attack. You oh, get yeah. to attack and it's like, <laughs> you guys did this wrong. You guys did that wrong. Blah, 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 blah. Great. That's good to get you elected. You know, I, I, the first time I ran and I didn't know anything, I probably had a few of those moments <laughs> myself. But they have to realize if you get elected, it's not, you're not us you're part of them now, right? You're on the yeah. other side, yeah. side of the mirror yeah. and you've got to work with everybody you were attacking. <laughs> Absolutely. And you're laying down the path for how you got to power, right? Like if you get to power through outrage, then you're basically consenting to other people taking power away from you through outrage because that's how you got it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's it's uh, it's interesting. People put their names forward for all sorts of different reasons. And that's one thing I've had a discussion with uh, the general manager of the township is, and a few other general managers from other townships is we should look at implementing uh, just an education course. Mm -hmm. I, I know there is one done through, uh, through a provincial organization. It basically, you're thinking of running for council. This is what you should know. Um, it could be good. It could be bad. Chances are if I would have taken it when I was first considering, probably wouldn't have done it. <laughs> um, but it, it, it does show what 
life is like as a, as a member of council. Well, you say that. You say that you probably wouldn't have done it. Right. But if you're running up against somebody who's taken that course or you're talking to people who have looked at it and in their mind, even if subconsciously they have reference to that, mm-hmm. you're going to pick up on that. Yeah. And there's that part of us that wants to be equal or better or that competition or not want to be left out, whatever it may be, yeah. can kick in. And you can say ideologically or looking at the past like, ah, I probably wouldn't have done it. But if you start seeing other people around you having knowledge that you don't have. Yeah. Well, it, it was interesting because um, the last election, there was, uh, there was three of us running for mayor. And I think there was nine or ten people running for councillor. And I remember during one of the debates, uh, there was an individual who just his tone of voice. And normally I wouldn't, you know, you're running for councillor. I'm not running against you. You know, say what you got to say. Doesn't really affect me. But this person was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that, 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 that. And he was just going off on a rant. Very, you know, and that he was playing that guy where, you know, the, the, how can I, probably the Maxime Bernie of the federal politics, <laughs> right? The municipal, he was just, ah, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I was just like, I said, give me the mic. So I took the mic. I said, let's be clear. You get on council, you're one vote. So you are not doing anything council as a whole decides what's going on you know and uh yeah i don't think he was happy after i made that comment (laughs) but i mean that's what people have to realize you know as much as you want to change something you have to have two other people on our council who agree with you right so and you have to build those relationships you know in order to find out are you on the same page or you're not? Like, you know, I'll have conversations with my counselor. What do you think about this? You know, I shouldn't say my counselor, members of council. Um, you know, we, we all work as a team. So I've had instances where I'll call one member of council up and say, I'm thinking of this. What do you think? And they do it with all, you know, each other, uh, you know, just to get a feeling if they have support around the table, you know, and, I've been on the losing end of votes. You know, there was something that I thought really, really needed to get pushed through, you know, that was a a benefit to the community. I'm just one vote out of the five. Three other members of council voted and that was the end, (laughs) you know, which is fine. I mean, that's democracy, you know, and we have, uh, you know, I know in the States they have what's called uh, a strong mayor, um, system where basically the mayor is like, he runs everything. He, he vetoes whatever he wants and stuff. Um, that's not what we have here. And that's not what I would want here because again, you know, giving all that power to one individual can be problem. <laughs> can yeah. create a big problem down the road. So what other, uh, I guess procedures or systems are in place. Do you feel that make things more fair? Cause you were talking about having that little program to help educate people about how municipalities work and yeah. So, uh, what there is, um, there is that program and that's put on by AMO, which is the association of municipality of Ontario. If you go on their website, there's actually, there's that stuff, there's that information there. They actually give a course as well, uh, right after municipal elections is, um, for newly, uh, for elected officials to understand their role. Um, you can tell when a member of council has taken that course or they haven't taken that course. Cause at the end of the day, um, it shows you how much, 
I won't say little power we have, but limitations council has, right? At the end of the day, when we talk about budget, um, you know, you need so much to do your roads, your snowplow, you know, your garbage collection, all the stuff. And really the only place you can really start cutting without significantly making, you know, cutting garbage to once a month or stuff like that, it's really in recreation. So it's important for counselors and, and mayors to understand that there are limits to what you can do from, an, from a business point of view, right? If you want to maintain the same level of service, well, it's going to cost you so much. You can't, you know, you can't change that. It's, it's not rocket science, a budget. It's, you know, it's yes or no. Somebody wants something, you know, for example, a member of council says, well, I would like to see this. Perfect. Do you want to cut somewhere else in the budget to bring that on board? No. Okay. So are you willing to increase taxation to pay for it? Well, I'd rather not. Well, then I guess it's not getting done then. <laughs> Cause that's the, you know, unless you, you happen, you know, we decide to apply for a grant or you might, you want to make it a community initiative and try and mobilize people to, to do fundraising and that kind of stuff. Um, but we have to, we don't have 50 million options of how we do stuff. You know, again, like I said earlier, everybody wants something different. So it's to try and balance all of that. Say, okay, well, you know, I can't do this, but I can do that. Or, you know, it's like we're working right now. The, the big project is the uh, sports complex, which I'm super, super stoked about. It's, it's, you know, I've been here 21 years now. And for 21 years, I've heard, oh, we're going to get this complex one day. We're going to get the complex <laughs> one day. And I'm like, so when I got on council, I was like, yes, we're going to get it someday. And I'm going <laughs> to, so, you know, we're, we're very solid. We have a very solid financial plan. And now it's just going to, now we're at the stage where it's actually what's going to be in there. And, you know, so that'll be the, that'll be the tough conversations coming between council and with the community is what do we put in, you know? At the end of the day, we can we can actually probably go up to about a seventy-five million dollar project without affecting taxes too too much. Um, but again, it's like our people want to, right? And I think that most people the the financial plan we're going to be looking at, I think people will be happy with it because it's you know it's over a ten year period and the impact is very minimal yearly. Um, but it'll be, are they willing to say, well, you know, I want two ice or three ice or six lane pool or eight lane pool. Do we want a gymnasium? Do we want the library? Like all these things are going to come into play. And if you add all those things up together, maybe it's not doable in 75 million, right? So we're going to have tough discussions to say, well, maybe we don't get everything we want. And this is, this is where I come back to, you know, do you want, do you want to go from zero to a hundred or are you willing to meet in the middle? Because if council is not willing to, if councillors and myself included as members of council, if we're not ex, uh, willing to bend a little, probably the project will never get done. But if we are willing to bend and meet each other halfway or three quarters, whatever the case is, within three, four years, we're going to have an amazing, amazing facility. And that's what I'm looking forward to. That's, that's what I want to see, you know, by 2025. Yeah. You know, that's what I'd love to see is this new facility open. And 
you know, we've proven that we can done it. Like the, the dome is a, is a perfect example. That facility is, we were very, um, meticulous staff were, you know, we really dived in and staff did a fantastic job. I mean, that, that facility, um, you know, there was a lot of people who were unsure about that project. Um, I'm talking members of, of the community. I remember people after it was open, uh, for like a good six months, I've constantly have people coming up saying, you know what? I wasn't interested in this thing. I didn't think we should do it, but honestly, I have a walking pass and I'm there every day. <laughs> so I'm like, and that's, again, it comes back to what I said at the beginning is you want these facilities to make sure that our youth are having fantastic experiences growing up here because they're going to remember it and they're going to come back down the road. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. Like as someone who was a youth growing up here, yep. I, I, as a kid, as a very young, I, I didn't really have any complaints. You know, I could, right. I could play with the kids on my block and my main complaint honestly was when people started to divide over English and French. Yeah. When kids and spe specifically on the French side started to go to, I guess, I don't know what the school system is on the French side, but they, they started to go into a different tier or different classes. And I started to see that divide taking place of, okay, we're no longer just the same kids on the block having a fun time. Right. It's now I'm English, even though I was bilingual. Yeah. And on the flip side too, the, then the pushback that would take place from kids who are English and being angry at the the kids who are French and me being in between, I'm like, I, like this isn't going to end well, you know. Yeah. Like we're just going to not be able to play hockey with each other. Yeah, is it's it's unique. I went well. I'd say part of it is unique because I'm a francophone. Uh, well, I, I'm a franglais pur. I you know I my dad's side of the family was more French and my mom's side of the family was more English. So I, I was totally growing up bilingual. I mean, I have a bad habit of saying an English word in a French accent and making it sound French. And, you know, it's just the way I speak. Um, but even where I grew up in Vanier, I remember going to school, I went to Glode and we had assumption school right next to us. And they couldn't have both recesses at the same time because <laughs> then it was like, Oh, French kids are out or English kids are out. And, you know, like I said, I was, I was in a fist fight every other week, you know, and sometimes it was that it was just because we're kids and you know, you're from the wrong side of the tracks, if yeah. you will. Right. But here, when I, when I, I moved here, it was interesting because, um, I thought it was, a lot more francophone than it was. Like, I mean, I called my store Piare Fis because it was francophone. And it is a francophone community, but I was surprised how many Anglophones uh, lived here. When I, when I started working with the public and people coming to the store, I was, it was blown away how, you know, the perception I had. Um, but I think it's, it's, something we have to work on as individuals. I mean, it's kids get their behavior from their parents, right? We're example to our kids. So if we have biases towards somebody, chances are we're passing it along to our kids without even realizing it, you know, and it's, it's okay to be proud of who you are, 
but we have to be able to to show that distinction to our kids between being proud of who we are and being aggressive towards somebody who's not like us. And that that can be challenging. Like, I mean, you know, I keep telling my kids, you know, we talk about how they were raised and they'll say, oh, I hated this, I hated you did that or whatever. I'm like, well, guys, someday you'll be parents. And I can tell you right now, doesn't come with an instruction manual. <laughs> like, you know, everybody's in the same boat. We're learning. And, you know, uh, because I had them so young, I wasn't even fully grown up myself, right? How old were you? Oh, well, I... Not w- that the age really matters. No, like, I, yeah. well, I was, I was, uh, I was 23 when I had my first son. And then, uh, you know, uh, 11 months later, I had the second one. And then the third one was a surprise. <laughs> he came a few years after that. But I mean, at, you know, when I look back, I was, I, at 23, I wasn't fully mature. Like, I mean. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. No. <laughs> like, I, I was working full time and I, 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 I had started building a career and stuff like that. Uh, but he, I mean, if you ask my kids and you ask my wife and they'll probably say, I'm still not mature to this day, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, you know, any, anybody who, who, who knows me, like in the community, people know me and they see my, me in my suits and stuff. And they, yeah, yeah. it's just the type of person I am. But somebody who has no idea who comes here and he sees the mayor, you know, have a weed suit on or something, he's going to be like, yeah, what yeah, the yeah. heck is going on? <laughs> but I'm having fun. Yeah. You know, and like I said, if I'm having fun, then I enjoy doing the job. It's it's a passion. But, you know, uh, somebody, well, actually, uh, you know, serious subject today, truth and, and reconciliation day. Um, you know, I'm like, I don't have an orange shirt. Mm. I have an orange suit, though. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was at the office this morning and I had my orange suit on. But it's, uh, you know, and... And people are like, wow, you know, an orange suit. I'm like, you know what? At the end of the day, it's making you smile. Mm. So I enjoy. That's, you know, for me, I enjoy making people smile. And if me wearing funny looking suit does it, then there you go. And then I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with going back to the, the growing up here, I, I felt like there was only hockey and which I wasn't into at the time. Yeah. And derivatives of hockey, like ball hockey. <laughs> there was tennis, which also wasn't my jam. Yep. There was baseball, which was a bit better for me, and soccer as well. So yep. th- there was definitely some sports taking place. Yep. But there wasn't there wasn't as much consistency as something like the new sports complex can provide. Absolutely. Right. And. And the only place for when I got became a teenager to hang out was in parking lots of like Tim Hortons or the shoppers, like, which isn't the worst, you know, it's not yeah. the worst, but it's also not the best. Now we have like skate parks and, yeah. and, uh, more pools are going to be taking place and that's also going to be huge. Yeah, definitely. And I think that was, maybe that was, that was a contributing factor to, uh, when I got on council where my perspective was coming from because the kids were still young when I when I got in on council. They were, you know, 10, 12 years old. Um, but the same thing for me. My kids were never into hockey. So in the in the spring, summertime, it was football. And in the winter, it was bowling. 
mm. you know, and, and because of the, because of the business I was in, you know, retail, um, you know, I couldn't afford to go to a hockey tournament in Toronto for three days. Like that wasn't happening. Like, you know, having three kids in hockey, that wasn't happening. Bowling was a, a, a nice, safe alternative. You know, it was Saturday mornings and it wasn't too expensive. Um, but yeah, so that was something when I got on council as a counselor, you know, I, uh, I remember we had, um, a presentation, a group of about 50 kids came to council during, uh, budget requests and they requested a skate park, an Embram skate park. We had the Russell one, but we didn't have one in Embram. And I remember the director at the time saying, oh, it's like, you know, it's like $200,000 and, you know, it's really expensive. And I was like, man, that, that seems really expensive for no reason, right? So I was like, okay. But I said, we have like 50 kids who took the time <laughs> to come to a council meeting and ask for something. Like, we can't just ignore them, right? Said, we have to do our due diligence. So I was like, well, I'm going to go on the internet. I'm going to see what I can find. Canadian Ram companies out of, I think, Kings, uh, not Kingston, Hamilton, you know, I was like, I think it was 50 grand. It was like 25 grand. It was 25 grand for the, 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 uh, features of the skate park. And then I think it was 25 grand to, uh, lay the, the asphalt properly and stuff like that. So then I brought it back to council. I said, here you go. <laughs> like, I mean, like it's doable. So yeah, we ended up that, uh, we were able to do that. I was really proud of that, you know, when I was there when the, the kids uh, started using it. And, you know, that's that's the reality with youth is if you don't have something to keep them busy, problems are going to come out of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, we've all been kids and we've all done stupid things, you know. You know, I, I'm in there with everybody else. But I mean, like this summer, you know, I look at the the bandstand at the Russell Fairgrounds, spray painted. You know, we had a, ca uh, a cab in here at the uh, Embram uh, outdoor rink, which somebody set fire to. You know, so these are issues that, you know, we can't just chalk it up to, oh, uh, it's kids being kids. We have to give them something else to do. You know, so we, it's not our job to go grab the kid to here, come and do this, come and do that. But it is our job to actually have options for them, you know? So as long as we're providing options, I think we're, we're as a township, I think we're in the right place. But yeah, no, it's, uh, it's fun to be able to work on projects like that, moving things forward. And, you know, it's, uh, it's satisfying. You know, it's, it's, it's nice when you're, you're out in public and you see the kids using it as something that you worked hard on, right? Or, you know, you're having conversation or you hear, you're standing in a crowd and you hear somebody saying, oh, I went here, you know, the, like the dog park. Everybody loves that dog park. There's people from Orleans outside, you know, Metcalf, Castman that come to use that dog park. I'll be honest with you. When I first heard the idea of the dog park, I'm like, there's farmland all around us. Like just take your dog and go <laughs> make it run somewhere. Right. Um, but it, it's, uh, you know, I, I, like, I mean, 
<laughs> I, I su- and I, I supported the dog park because it was a community initiative. Yes. But I remember yeah. first thinking going, uh, like, you know, okay, whatever. <laughs> but then when I saw it in action, yeah. and I think it's that in the dome has done more to bring the two villages of Embrum and Russell together than anything else that could have ever been done. And I think that's what's going to happen with the, the, uh, the sports complex as well. You know, the, the, the unseen line uh, between the two villages with time is blurring because we're getting people to, to, to cross over, if you will. It, it always makes me laugh because you can always tell the people that have um, preconceptions right? Like I'll have people from Embram or, you know, oh, Russell has everything, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And then I, I kind of, well, what do they have? Oh, they have the pool, you know, uh, they have this, they have that. And like, they have the restaurants. Uh, okay. And then I'll talk to somebody from Russell. He's like, oh, Embram's got everything, you know? And I'm like, well, what do they have? Well, they have the splash pad, they have the grocery store. I'm like, Okay. (laughs) I get it. You know, uh, we talk about, you know, having walkable communities, very important thing, but we're also in a rural setting, right? And what's walkable? (laughs) At the end of the day, it's like, you know, if if you're downtown Ottawa, where, you know, you have, you know, 10, 20 story buildings, it's easily achievable to have a walkable community. Yeah. But to have it, you know, we can't build up both villages equally and say, okay, you get a pool, you get a pool, you get a splash pad, you get a splash pad, you get this, you get that. You know, people always complain, you know, that it's not close enough. I'm like, so when you need, you know, when you go to the show, where do you go? Well, I go to Ottawa. I go to Orleans. So you have no problem going to Ottawa to do something but you have an issue going within your own township, five minute drive to do something, but it's that perception. Embram mm-hmm. Russell, Embram Russell, Embram Russell. And unfortunately what happens is we, for, you know, and, and it's like, well, we also have Marionville. We also have Limoges. Like we're four communities here. Right. Yeah. And even though compared to other municipalities, we are, uh, you know, we don't have a large kilometer coverage right we're, we're boxed in we have pretty good density we're literally a box yeah we're literally <laughs> a box right so we have and because we have that we're lucky because there's other municipalities whose territories are so huge that you know half their budget is just snow plowing in the winter time you know they have this you know they have roads where there's one or two people leave, living on it for five kilometers when they're going to snow plow the entire road for those two people I remember telling a mayor one day, I said, you're probably better off buying those two houses and closing the road. It's probably cheaper than providing that service, right? But it's... it's <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's the reality. And then it's, it's finding that balance because people want... Uh, I've posted it a few times over the years on, on my Facebook page, but, you know, the people want... What's important to you? Do you want... Um, you know, do you want low taxes? Do you want high services? Or do you want, you know, and low density? 
Well, you can't have those three. It's impossible. You can't say, oh, I want, I, I want to keep the small town. I want to keep the high services. I want to keep the low taxes. That's not possible. Either you're going to pay more in taxes or you're going to take a reduction of service or you're going to increase the amount of people that are helping pay for this stuff. So I think that's where we come back to, there has to be a compromise. You have to find that balance. And that's where it's so tricky because I think for the most part, for the most part, the people I talk to, you know, a vast majority of the population understand that. They understand we can't be everything to everybody. But it's also hard because when you're passionate about something, Mm -hmm. that's all you want. That's Mm -hmm. all you care about. And that's where, you know, we, we have to be vigilant in education and, you know, making people understand why is it we do the decisions we do. And, you know, it comes back to be involved, get informed, right? We'll provide you all the information you need, but you have to be willing to receive that information. So, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, but again, it's a great position to be in the township we are. I'm very grateful that there is the bike path that connects the two places, you know, in, in like 20 something minutes or less, depending on how hard I'm pedaling. And if I want to sweat, (laughs) you know, I can get from one end of Embrun to the the other side of Russell. Yeah. And there's beautiful nature along the way and little opportunities to get off that path and get into the towns. Yeah. The cycling, uh, the the fitness trail, uh, for those that don't know, is the old railroad line. Uh, The township bought it years ago and actually got rid of some chunks of it to farmers back in the day for Mm -hmm. whatever reason. Um, But it's probably uh, our recreational uh, facility or asset that's the most used in the township. Like, I mean, everybody uses that thing. And it's it's funny because um, at one point we extended it. You know, it used to, it used to go up, um, to a certain point on uh, forced road used to stop there. And then, uh, we got a grant to pave the rest. It used to be like a little section in the woods, right? Where you kind of little gravel in between. So we decided to, to extend it. We had opposition to that. Like the council chambers filled up with people who were, you know, who did not want to see that section get paved. I, <laughs> you know, and, and for whatever their reasons were, yeah. right. And, and I remember, uh, being there, uh, as, as I think it was when I was first elected as mayor. Yeah. When I first elected as mayor and as mayor, I only get to vote in two situations. If there is a two, two vote, mm-hmm. then I become the tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. If three people have already voted, then I don't even vote because it does, you know, I don't, my say doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, or if it's a registered vote, then everybody has to, dis, you know, say yay or nay for the record. But I, I, if I remember well, I think it was a 2 2 <laughs> split. And my reasoning was, and I, I said it publicly at the time, is I understand you guys don't want it, but I think the majority of the population will appreciate it. And if we look back 20, 30 years ago, when the bike path was first uh, paved, there was probably objections back then. So, you know, we got to think long-term for the future. And 
I think it was the best move. And I, you know, ever since that, I've never heard anybody complain that it was done, that it was not the right decision. It's, you know, it's fantastic. And I think that, um, definitely during the pandemic, mm. you know, more people were using the trail and walking and stuff. So the fact that we added a few kilometers <laughs> was beneficial, right? Absolutely. Yeah, but no, it's a, that's a, it's a fantastic asset for our community. There's not many places that have a fitness trail that goes right through the middle of two villages. No, it's very unique. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, I've seen, I've seen people show up with, uh, Quebec plates who have their, take their bikes off and get, jump on the trail. Right. Yeah. So it's a, it's a tourist attraction. Hopefully those people are having lunch afterwards in our community or whatever the case is, but anybody who's looking to move here just has to look at the, the organizations we have and the facilities we have and stuff. And I think the rec complex is just going to uh, create a snowball effect. You know, the amount of growth we're seeing now is just going to be compounded once that complex is actually built. It's, we're going to see a lot more growth a lot quicker. Um, there's going to be growing pains. Um, but again, you know, if we want high services and, you know, then we have to, and low taxes, then we have to create higher densities. So. Yeah. And the, that, that spirit of like, you have to get involved. Yeah. The, yeah. the information's there. I personally have been taking on that challenge of uh, stepping back from social media Yep. And in those moments where I feel that itch of like, oh, I just want that instant gratification or that that novelty and that kick of sitting in that boredom and asking myself, what can I do locally yep. to scratch this itch? Where can I invest my time and my attention? Who can I connect with? Yep. And every single time that I put myself out there, it's been amazing. Yeah. It's been totally worth it. But it's terrifying at the same time because there's no reference. Like there's... It's, it's hard, right? It's hard because as you say, you're putting yourself out there. Nobody, you know, there's, you don't want to, there's that fear of rejection, rejection, right? Oh, I put myself out there and yeah. then nobody, you know, <laughs> yeah, nobody says, Hey, you know, let's do this or that's that. And then you're like, uh, but I mean, I think, uh, we, we redid our website a little while ago and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's still on there. We actually have a list on our website of like all the, the community organizations and contact information. So if ever somebody's looking who's new to the area, whether it's sports or this or that, but I mean, at the end of the day, I, I mean, I've had people send me emails uh, who said, Hey, I'm, I'm new to the area. Um, you know, I have this, these are the types of interests I have. Is there anywhere you would recommend that I contact? And then I shoot them off. Well, here's a few different options, this organization, that organization, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, you know, if you have young kids, scouts, beavers, that that's a great organization, great volunteers, right? If you, the kids are, you know, or, uh, Club Optimist, Ambrun and Russell, we have two of them. Like those are great organizations. You know, if you, if you're, um, if your kid, if it's not kids oriented, right, then there's the Lions Club, the Kin Club, the Chevalier Cologne. I mean, these are all organizations that do stuff for their community, right? Like, I mean, like I said earlier, the Catch the Ace with the, the Russell Kin Club, they raised a, almost a million bucks to give back into the community. You know, it was like 
over $300,000 went to the Winchester District Memorial Hospital yesterday, last night at an event. So these, like, I mean, there are ways to make your community better. And, you know, it doesn't, it's not a full-time job. You know, some people, they get retired, they want to do it full-time, great. But most of these organizations are quite happy just having you there help once in a blue moon, right? Any help they can get, donate some time, you know, it'll, it'll pay off in spades to the community for sure. I'm definitely going to be checking out that list and some of these organizations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I've seen I've seen people from, you know, I, I know on my street there's actually a, a gentleman who used to play football, you know, so he was coaching football. Mm-hmm. You know, find, find something. You know, I, I've said to a few people, I said, look back at your childhood. What did you enjoy doing? Chances are if you enjoyed doing it when you're young, passing along that passion when you're older, you're still going to have that passion. Oh yeah. You know, I, I, you know, for me, I, I used to bowl when I was a kid. So when my kids started bowling, I was awesome. I enjoyed that. You know, you, because you're reliving your youth at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Live vicariously through our kids, I guess. <laughs> well, that's part of the joy of having kids. Yeah. 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 It's, and uh, you know, now, uh, you know, now it's uh, for me as a dad, I'm at the stage where, like I said, I have three young men. Uh, my youngest uh, has moved out with his girlfriend. Uh, too soon for me, but, you know, he, he's, he's going to be 18. He's got to make his life decisions. Um, but my role is now not the protector, but it's, it's the supporter and, the, you know, give you advice. And, you know, I'm not going to bail them out. That's not my style. You know, you make your bed, you sleep in it, you know, but... It's, uh, they, they have to learn their own path. It's, it's not my path. I've, uh, you know, I'm still on my path, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. Cause I said to my oldest the other day, I saw him and like, God, he's 22 now. And I saw him interact with, uh, other people, uh, my age. And for the first time I saw him as an adult, mm. you know, because it was funny when, as he was growing up, you know, I'd have, you know, parents of his friends, you know, oh, your son came over. He was so polite. He did this. He helped with the dishes, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you sure it's my kid? <laughs> it's like, why the hell doesn't he do that at home? Like, what's going on? And then, and then we'd ask him and he's like, ah, you know. <laughs> And then, then I saw him, I saw him having a conversation and I, I literally, I said, I, I said to my wife, I said, I saw him for the first time as an adult and you know, and I was so proud and I was like, it just made me realize it was like, yeah, you know, I, I, we did a good job, even though he doesn't show us that side often, Yeah, you know, we did a good job. So I, I was, I was happy for that. It was, it was a good, <laughs> it was a good night that night. It was like, yeah. Help me change my perspective. That's something I don't hear often in conversations about communities and families and all those sorts of things. But that opportunity specifically of having members of your community, people that aren't just full on stranger, strangers interacting with your kids in a way that really allows you to see them in a different way and to know that they're more layered and complex and to build that sense of pride like it, it 
I guess it speaks to my jadedness growing up, but like I've, I recently had an experience in which somebody complimented my, my mom and how she raised me and it brought her to tears. Like yeah. she just was not ready for that level of vulnerability. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> well, you, you know, it's, it's your, your kids are wanted or not. Your kids are a reflection of yourself, right? Oh, yeah. How can they not be? <laughs> right. So when I see, you know, and because I see the interaction, the only the one side between the relationship I have with mm. my son, you know, or all three of my my boys, I only see one side of their of their of their personality, right? And I hear about it, you know, uh, you know, all three kids. I've been told how great they are, the you know how polite they are, and this and that. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Like it's it's a facade, you know. They're just they're being nice because. But that's actually how they are because <laughs> I've come to realize that we've done our job <laughs> and and they are great kids. And, you know, I, I'm proud to say they're, 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 that we did that. And, you know, uh, you know, I don't know where life's going to take them. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, uh, I've done everything I can. My wife's done everything I can. And was it a perfect family dynamic? Probably not. I mean, I was working 16 hour days, you know. They, they, they grew up in, in the store for the most part, you know, that was for the first five years, you know, of, of the store, that's where they grew up. But, you know, but I see how they interact with people in their, in their work lives. Right. You know, I, I have, I have uh, two of my boys that work at Boston pizza and one that's doing landscaping and, you know, when, and I know their bosses and they tell me how great employees they are. So it's, you know, it's, it's nice to hear. It's nice to, it's nice to be validated that you're doing a yeah, good job, yeah. <laughs> especially if it's, if that job's a parent, cause you know, you're always, you're always as a parent, you're always like, oh my God, what did I do? Did I raise him well? You know, the last thing you want to do is like, and, and the boys know it, eh? It's, it's funny. Cause I remember, uh, I remember my oldest, maybe five, six years ago, he was 16 or something, 16, 17. And he was out with friends and I can't remember what it was. The, the friends were doing something stupid or whatever. And I said, well, did you participate? He's like, no, I left. I'm like, Hey, that's awesome. You know? So tell me, why did you leave? And he's like, well, my dad's the mayor. I can't, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I get caught doing that. Then I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, that's, uh, that's one reason <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, we always joke, you know, I, for me, I'm proud to be mayor, but it's not something that goes to my head. Mm. Like it's, it's a job like any other, well, it's a job for me. It's, it's, it's a passion for me. Right. But I don't see it as, how can I put that? You know, maybe like if, if my son was the mayor, then I would see it completely different. I'd be, oh my God, that's a fantastic, you know, it, I'd be proud and, you know, I am proud to be mayor, but I don't, you know, for me, I'm the type of person, whether you're the, a mayor or whether you're guy, the janitor, mm -hmm. you're a person nonetheless. And that's how I think of you. So I have a tendency to look at my position as just another position, like any other position, right? Like, I mean... The guy who's cleaning city hall, Bob, he's a fantastic guy. He does a lot more work than I do, 
<laughs> you know? So, I mean, so, you know, my mom is my mom and she's super proud of me and stuff like that. And, but she's like, well, you're the mayor, you should do this. And I'm like, no, mom. And it's like, I'm not more important than anybody else. Like, yeah. we're all the same. Like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm never, I said the day where I think I'm more important because of the position I hold is the day that I should no longer have that position. Mm. Because obviously I've let it go to my head. Like I've, I've witnessed, I've heard people say, well, do you know who I am? Because of the position they hold? Shouldn't matter who you are. Like if, you know, it's like, you know, I was watching something on Facebook the other day, like a, an MMA fighter went to a bar and he, he got into a fight because the guy wouldn't let him in. And he was like, do you know who I am? Who cares? We're all individuals here. And just because you might hold a position doesn't mean you're more important than somebody else, you know, but you know, not everybody sees it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful sense of humility for sure. Yeah. To be able to, to keep yourself grounded in that way. And I've got good friends that'll keep me grounded too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. They don't care that I'm mayor yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> They like, I mean, they respect the position and if we're out in public and stuff, then, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll act appropriately, but you know, they'll, you know, we're playing cards or something, you know, like the title of a mayor is, um, your worship, which is a pretty good title. I got yeah. it. <laughs> like, you know, I remember, I remember getting in and it's like a minister is your honorable and I get your worship. I'm like, you know, but my, my buddies are, it's like, yeah, you're horseshit. Yeah, <laughs> that's your title. I'm like, yeah, okay. Thanks for keeping me grounded, guys. I really appreciate yeah. it. So, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, you surround yourself with good people, then you know it helps make the job easier and stuff. So makes it it, it gives you know it's uh, it's easy um, to stay who you are if the people are treating you as who you are. You know, if if people start bending down hand and knee because you're in a certain position, well, then you'll, you'll have a tendency to become that persona, right? Yeah. So that, that can be dangerous for, for certain people. Yeah. And how did that come about for you? That importance, that priority of staying humble? Um, I think it was, it was how I was raised. It was how I was raised. I had, uh, through, through my career, um, with the Rogers video, I had some really good, uh, managers and mentors, um, who, who taught me well. Um, I became a manager very young for Rogers video at the time. I think it was 21. I'd been working there about four years and I worked my way up and, um, they, you know, at one point I'm sure when I first started, I probably let it go to my head a little bit. Um, but I was reminded by, really quickly by a few people that, you know, just just stay true to who you are, right? Uh, especially because I was so young, I didn't want to overcompensate uh, because I was managing people who were like two or three times my age, right? So, but no, I think it starts at home. You know, whatever virtues or whatever things your parents instill in you that they do have an effect so and so what other 
things have your parents instilled in you that you have been instilling in or trying to instill in your sons? Ah, good question. Good question. Family. I've, I, you know, it's, uh, family is important. I've always, I've always said to the boys, you know, um, as much as your friends are, are good friends, it's very hard to get a friend you can consider family. You know, there are, there are people that, you know, I've, uh, my brother-in-law, I consider more of a brother than a, a brother-in-law. Um, you know, I have, uh, I have a friend that we don't talk as much anymore. Um, but he was very close to me for a good portion of my life. And I, uh, I know that if I pick up the phone, I say, Hey, I need you here now. You know, I need to bury a body, you know, he'll be the guy who's, yeah, I'm on my way, you know, um, He's so I think that's something I try and instill in the boys is that, you know, your brothers, you're going to fight, you're going to argue and that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you guys should always be there for each other. You know, you should drop everything at a drop of a hat to go help out if you need it. You know, obviously not on the stupid little stuff because they're like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> right. But it's, uh, you know, I, for me, for, for me, my family is, you know, is if I've got a day planned and somebody needs something and there's no way it has to be that day, then I'll change everything to make sure that I'm there for them. So it's uh no, I think that's, that's one thing that I've installed in the boys that family is above all else is your priority at the end of the day, you know, on your deathbed, it's your family that's going to be there as much as I love the residents and I love this job. It's not the residents that are going to be <laughs> next to me when I'm lying down. Right. So it's going to be my family. So, uh, that's probably the biggest thing I've tried to instill in them. And what have they instilled in you? <laughs> what have they instilled in me? Um, good question. Good question. They, uh, I see a lot of myself in them. Like just their, their personalities, what I, you know, they, they have this, one of my boys has a sense of humor way above mine and he's quick and sharp. Uh, you know, it's, uh, my oldest, we've bumped heads a few times over the years and I think he helped me to realize, um, to take a step back you know, don't always be so reactive, you know, father and son dynamics can be hard sometimes. And, you know, uh, holes in the wall have happened on a few occasions, right? Both sides, me or him. Um, but I think it's, he's, he's forced me to build up patience <laughs> and, and it's hard, right? Because we, we have this persona, um, that we share publicly, but it's different in private life. You know, uh, it was funny because if you talk to my family, I have no patience, <laughs> absolutely no patience whatsoever. But in my public life at council, I'm very patient. You know, I can, I know how to handle myself and stuff like that, but I think it's, it's a pendulum because I'm so patient you know, same thing at the store. I was always very patient with clients and that kind of stuff. But when I would get home, I would lose, you know, I'd be very quickly frustrated or, or get upset. 
Um, and that's been a challenge for me growing up as, uh, you know, as a, as an individual to learn about myself in that way, you know, to become a better person because it was, it was, you know, like, I remember my kids, uh, as a politician, you know, I'd have to go golfing. I'm not a fan of golf. And the boy said to me, do you like golf dad? I said, well, golf is a game about patience. And they all three looked at me. You hate it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> you know, I go, I go because it's more for the company than anything else for mm. me. And I'm happy because, you know, my expectation is that I'll hit one good ball during the game. And if I'm lucky, I hit two or three. So it was a good day. Yeah. But it, it's, it's, no, it was hard for me. Um, that was, I'd say that was probably the biggest thing for me to struggle with is, is the, the patience uh, at home. My dad, I love my dad. My dad passed away, but he was, I'm the same as he was very short tempered. And I know that I've passed that along to my boys. And now it's as they're young men, I'm trying to instill that, you know, it's okay to, to grow as a person to change. Right. And, uh, hopefully, hopefully that'll, hopefully that'll be instilled in them by the time they have their own kids. Yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, but they'll, they'll learn, you know, I mean, it's uh it's hard being a dad. <laughs> it is, it is our mom. I, I mean, I got it. My hat goes off to my wife because I mean, she was a bookkeeper for the store. She did all that kind of stuff and she raised her three kids. Like, I mean, I was at the store, I was doing the hours, but I mean, you know, I don't think I could have done the job. She did. And she probably couldn't have done the job I did. And that's why it's a partnership, right? Because we both work together and, and become a whole to try and, you know, make our ways through this, <laughs> through life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's so important to have that, that strong foundation at home and the whole partnership element, like you're in it together and you're helping each other out and you respect what each brings to the table. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, somebody who didn't have patience, it was hard to always, you know, to, to realize that all the time. Um, but, uh, you know, looking back, I realized, you know, what it, I couldn't have done any of this. I wouldn't be here where I am today if she hadn't been part of my life. Oh yeah. So. Patience is also something that isn't really rewarded in <laughs> obviously in the short term, right? Like it, yeah. it's something you have to wait for to see how you get repaid, but you definitely do. And I, I myself was insanely impatient, insanely impatient and have gone through my own processes of, and continually. So we're always growing, we're always learning yeah. to become more patient and to give that reason to create space and to back off and to, to believe that things can happen in, in due time. Yeah. Well, I think that, um, you know, uh, I remember, uh, about a year, a year or two before my dad passed away, I remember having a conversation with him at the store. He was, uh, when I was there at five thirty in the morning, he was there usually before me mopping the floor or vacuuming. Um, but I remember having a conversation with him, you know, when dad was 74 when he passed, so early seventies, I said, any regrets, dad? You know, anything and uh, looked at me, he's like, no, no. 
And I, w- I was surprised at the time because I'm like, how can you not have regrets? But when I, when, you know, I thought about it in my own life, I'm like, well, if I had regrets, that means I wanted to change something. And if I had changed something, I wouldn't be the person I am today. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because, you know, is there things that I wish went differently? Maybe, but you know, not at the price, you know, I wouldn't change it if it meant that I I wouldn't be where I am today because I'm happy where I am today, right? Usually people with past regrets, it's because they're not necessarily comfortable in where they are in their lives right now. So if you, you know, I think that's, I think that's the, the, the trickiest part is trying to find uh, that happiness. You know, Uh, I remember watching a video from, oh, who was it? I think it was Will Smith. And he said something along the lines that, you know, in a marriage, it's not my job to make my wife happy and it's not her job to make me happy. It's my job to make me happy and her job to make her happy. And when we're both happy, then we can truly be a couple. And that's sunk in for me, you know, because every relationship goes through hard times and stuff. But usually, um, Usually, if you look back at the past, usually that's because you weren't happy in your own situation and you were taking it out on the other person, right? Or vice versa. So I think it's it's very important to be able to find that happiness. And I've been saying for the last two years now, well, pretty much right before the pandemic is like, I want zero stress in my life. That's my goal right now, Is which is ironic in the job I have. But... You know, if I can, if I can be comfortable and stress-free, then I'm happy, you know, and at the end of the day, it comes back to patience, you know, every, every situation can be looked at and addressed and sometimes it takes a while, but you know, it's just day to time. That's all we can do. Yeah. Uh, I used to translate patience as somebody trying to be lazy, you know, they're (laughs) like, just patience, patience. And it wasn't, I didn't feel like it was addressing the underlying issues or my own needs for progress. And the idea of just waiting was just, but, but isn't the problem the fact that there's a status quo that needs to change? And so how is patience going to be the answer? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's depending on the context of the situation, Mm -hmm. right? Um, sometimes, you know, there's the reason the expression time heals all wounds or, um, you know, uh, a day at a time or, you know, there is an impact of patience. Sometimes you have to be a catalyst to change. And then, you know, you light the fuse and then you see what comes. Mm-hmm. Right. But it, it, it's, it, it's difficult. I mean, life is hard <laughs> at the end of the day. Life is, life is hard. And, it comes back to, well, if you can be patient and see what changes if other people are the catalyst, but why not become the catalyst? Why not take that step? Why not become a volunteer? Why not, you know, uh, run for council or do something, right? Acknowledge the power that you do have. Yeah, because I don't want to be sitting, you know, I wouldn't want to be somebody who complains my whole life and then on my deathbed is still complaining about stuff that I should have acted on it. You know, uh, regret 
is a powerful thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, I don't want to live with regrets. <laughs> I want to be able, like my dad, you know, live a full life and say, this was a good life. I'm happy with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Like regret is a form of self-resentment. <laughs> yeah. In, in some ways. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because there was something that you weren't happy with. And, you know, that was, you know, in my political life, um, I ran for the provincial liberals in the last provincial election. Uh, I ran for the wrong reasons. Um, I wasn't happy with the, the, the candidate that was running and I didn't want that person to win. Um, not a good reason to run, 100%. And I'm actually glad that I lost because uh, of things that happened in my life, my dad passing away and stuff. I would have been stuck in Toronto and I wouldn't have been there for my family. So ultimately, I'm quite happy that uh, I lost that election. Um, but I had to go through that to realize that because I didn't want to be, you know, this, this position was offered to me. And one of the other reasons that I did it is like, well, I don't want to be sitting in a room 20 years down the road, having their regret. Oh, I should have ran, you know? So I ran and lost, <laughs> but I'm happy with that. You know, at the end of the day, everything, I, I always say everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a uh, regret. It can be a powerful emotion. And like you say, it's, 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 if you have regrets, it's possibly because something else is going on. And there's still time to act. Yeah. There's still time to act and to recognize the power that you have to make a change in your own life. Well, that's it, right? Like it's, it's when people complain about something, oh, you know, I'm overweight. I don't have money, you know, whatever the case is, well, work on it, you know? Like, I, I mean, I was overweight for most of my life. I was like, I mean, I did something about it, you know? I always say I cheated because I got a gastric bypass. <laughs> but I, at the end of the day, it helped me, um, it helped me be who I am today. And I'm glad I did. It. And it's still a challenge. I mean, gee, I was at the gym at 5.30 this morning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, but, you know, people have to, uh, you know, have to look inside sometimes and, and be truthful in, with themselves, right? Because it's so easy to blame other people for problems, you know? And I think that, I think that's what the, the social media aspect or, you know, the, the uh, people online who have a tendency to be very, very negative is they're very, very negative about something but is that really the underlining issue? Like, you know, you're losing it because a garbage bag wasn't picked up. Well, if that's the biggest issue you have in your life, you wouldn't be that mad about it, right? So maybe look, see what else is going on in your sphere <laughs> and see what adjustments need to be made, right? Yeah. But that's, it's, I mean, I'm not a guru or anything. I'm just like everybody else in this world. I'm just trying to get through it day by day. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just two guys having a conversation, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm very curious as to like going back to the partnership with your wife, like yep. that, that whole component of, you know, you are who you are because of your friends and your family and your connection and how that relationship evolved over all these years and the differences from going from, you know, a private business to a public facing position. It's, it's interesting because my wife is very, very shy. 
um, you look up shy in the dictionary, it should be her picture. <laughs> or I, I should, it should have been her picture years ago. Um, for, for also, are you comfortable with how this is set up right now? Or do yeah. you want it to? Okay. Yeah, yeah we're good. Um, so for me, it was, uh, for me, the, the, the public life wasn't really different than what I had been doing in retail, right? It was, I saw it as just talking to people and stuff. Obviously the, the meeting aspect was a little bit different. I'd never been in that kind of situation, but it was all of a sudden I was going to all these events and I was like, you're coming with me. And she was like, what? You know, so that was something new for her. She hadn't really, you know, so it, it was by default, she was put into the, the limelight. Right. And, and she, it took a while for her to get accustomed to that. And I have to say that, uh, um, you know, as part of the United counties, there's eight mayors. Um, I, I'm the youngest. I was, you know, very much younger <laughs> when I first got in six years ago. So I was almost, it was almost like, you know, and most of the mayors were like my parents' age. Right. So when we would go somewhere and they bring their spouses, well, it's like her parents. Right. So, and they, they were, you know, they made her feel incredibly welcome. So that, that helped that there was that, that feeling of family, if you will, there, right. Because, and it was nice with the other mayors because they're all in the same boat. They all live the same experiences generally. Right. So there was, there was a lot of familiarity and we could let our guard down, you know, with each other, which is nice because, um, when you're in the public, there's, you have to act a certain way, right. You know, there's an expectation of how you're going to act. Um, the expectation for me now is I'm going to have a funny suit for whatever the occasion is. So it makes, it makes things a a little bit easier, but I mean, I had to grow into the comfort level of the role before I was comfortable enough to let myself show more, right? Like, you know, I had to, had to wait a while before I let my geek side come out and, you know, um, just so that, you know, you never know how people are going to react. So for, for my wife, it was, it was, I think it was a little bit difficult for her. I don't want to speak for her, but I think it was a little bit difficult for her at the beginning. Um, and it took a while for her to get more comfortable because she was such a shy person. Like we're going to these events and all of a sudden, uh, these people are talking to her and stuff like that because, you know, I'll start talking to somebody and then somebody else grabs me and all of a sudden she's there and she's surrounded by people she doesn't necessarily know. Right. Um, but it comes back to this community because the people I was going to an event and I had to interact, they were just as supportive of her and they were, they did everything to make sure she was comfortable and, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. So that was, um, that was, I was happy to see her grow in, in that aspect of her life where she was more comfortable. She's still, you know, nervous sometimes when I say, oh, we got to go to this. And she's like, oh, okay. You know, but she, she knows. And she was, she was comfortable for me in that role in the sense that she was used to, you know, me working 16 hour days. And then after I wasn't working 16 hours a day, uh, you know, I became a volunteer firefighter. So I had a pager that, you know, middle of the birthday party, pager goes off, I was gone, you know? So she was used to me always being gone and that kind of stuff. So, you know, she knows if I say, oh, I'm just going to the grocery store, I'll take five, 10 minutes. She knows it'll be two hours 
because she knows I'm going to run into somebody and the conversation is going to happen. Right. Yeah. Um, but she was, she was, this was a little bit different because now she was getting pulled in and, uh, she, she, she did really well. She's, she's, she's amazing. I mean, you know, if to go somewhere and put yourself in a uncomfortable position solely to support your partner is incredible, right? Like, you know, if you think about it, would I go somewhere and be in a really uncomfortable position just to make the other person happy? And that's what she did without hesitation. You know, like she was, she was nervous. She, you know, well, you know, it's, I guess she was happy because she got dresses and stuff. <laughs> well, I, I, I have nothing to wear. Oh, okay. It's not all bad news. It's not all bad news, but, but no, it was, uh, it was fantastic. You know, she's, you know, it's not something I guess we necessarily think about often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as, as a human being, you know, do I think about my wife? And, you know, until you ask the question, I never really thought about it. You know, but yeah, she's, she's done a lot of stuff that maybe I don't realize how impactful they were. And that's what makes them so powerful is that it's not this like blatant thing that you see once in a while. It's consistent and it's in the background, but it's foundational. Yeah. 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 Totally. Totally. Because, you know, it's, uh, and you know, like I said, I was, I was working on my patients with my boys that's something that I've been working on from a personal perspective, patience with my wife over the last, you know, during this pandemic where I was always at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, you know, and there's a, there's a reason lawyers got really, really busy during the pandemic. And, you know, it's cause a lot of people were splitting up. I was like, that's not happening. And like, I, I, I'm not saying that it ever got to that point, but I'm saying that, you know, I had to, be aware of it mm-hmm. and work on it to say that, you know, uh, you know, and have more meaningful conversations. That's something I've been working on with, with her for the last, you know, years, you know, we start off the day and it's like, you know, we're sitting down having her coffee and or she's having her coffee. I'm having my tea and, you know, how was your day yesterday? You know, was there anything negative, positive, you know, really opening up and having those conversations, um, you know, because sometimes it's like, well, I didn't like this or really like, I wouldn't have thought that or whatever the case is, you know, um, but a, a lot of self-reflection, I guess, between the both of us just to, to try and understand, you know, where we are, where we were and where we want to be. Right. I think that's. Uh, life is evolution. You're always trying to improve, you know, for the, for the future. And it's like from, you know, as, as much as I love this job and, you know, you know, if, is this what I'm going to be doing five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, I, I, you know, I think about it and it's like in 20 years, I'm at retirement age. And it's like, Wow. <laughs> You know, it's like, and then, and then I see, you know, I, I see people who hit retirement age and then pass away six months later. And I'm like, 
uh, is that what I want? <laughs> like, I don't want, you know, like, you know, so uh, for me, as long as I, is as long as I'm having fun and I enjoy doing the job, then I'll stay as long as people want me to stay. Um, but at some point in my life, it's like, you know, if, if my passion isn't there anymore, then I want somebody to have passion to be in that job. Right. And I'll, I'll step aside and let them do it because, you know, or, you know, again, <laughs> people decide where, whether I keep my job or not. So if they decide they don't want me there, then, you know, I'll move on and yeah. figure something else <laughs> out. But, uh, no, it's, it's, it's always, uh, it's always a challenge, you know, trying to be self-aware is, is, and this is not stuff that they necessarily teach you as a kid, right? No. You know, like your parents don't teach you this because they weren't taught it, right? No. (laughs) And and especially the the generations that came before us, it's like, no way. (laughs) You know, my my dad was, uh, I love my dad. He was fair. He was uh, no patience, like I said. I remember, uh, I always joke that the reason I was so quick on my feet is because uh, if I didn't want to kick in the ass, I had to be quick on my feet <laughs> and, you know, but it's as, as I get older, I'm realizing that there's things that we should have been taught that we were never taught in school, you know? And I think maybe, maybe, maybe that's the job of grandparents, right? The, the, the you know, the grandparents, it's always funny because, um, you know, the grandparents are like, oh yeah, it's, it's perfect. Cause you get to give them back <laughs> and then you start getting annoying. Yeah. But I think it's also the fact that we'll be able to share information, share our life experience to, you know, in ways that your parents won't teach you. And if I think back of, you know, uh, my own grandparents, I think that's part of the, the, the relationship you have with grandparents is, you know, it's, it's a different dynamic than mom and dad, right? Mom and dad are teaching you the foundation, you know, but your grandparents have a tendency to teach you the little extras that maybe your parents aren't teaching you. Oh yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, coming back to my wife, uh, fantastic lover to death. Uh, I still have to work. My, my habit is, uh, one habit I, I have a bad habit of is I never introduce her. <laughs> I just, I, we, we, you know, we get somewhere, we, we start, I start right into the conversation and this and that, and she's just standing there. I'm like, and then, you know, I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. This is my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, and, and it's funny because when we, when we meet, uh, other couples or in politics and stuff, you know, usually the response when I do something like that is like, oh yeah, my husband does the same thing all the time. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. So no, it's just, uh, that's, that's one thing I have to work on. <laughs> <laughs> you want some more water by the way? Sure. Thanks. Yeah. I, I'm pretty guilty of that too. When, when I was in relationships, I would introduce people that were already introduced Okay. And not introduce people to who weren't introduced. I just assume that they already knew each other for some strange reason. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's hard. I mean, I, uh, it's funny cause when I worked at the store, um, I've never been great with names, mm-hmm. but I was great with numbers. 
in a, like just simple numbers. I'm not a math genius or anything, but I could remember people's phone numbers and stuff. So people I'd see, you know, coming to rent a movie, I'd punch in their phone number and it's John. Hey John, how you doing? You know, and they use, they always thought I knew them by name, but I was pulling up their account and that's where, so, you know, I didn't have access to that when I started <laughs> in politics where I'm being introduced to all these people and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know I've met him. It's like, what's that person's name? And so social media for me is a great tool because when I see somebody, I'm like, okay, I know I have him on my friends list. I've seen the name. I'm going to do a quick search. Oh yeah, it's this guy, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know? So, but uh, that's something that uh, I've tried, you know, when you meet somebody, being introduced hi john oh the john nice to meet you and repeat their name a few times and you know uh one one politician he said oh he goes uh he says he goes i've got a great trick for that i'm like okay what is it he goes well when you meet somebody and you forgot their name he goes what's your name again and i'm like what he goes yeah yeah he goes well it's john no i know it's john what's your last name and i'm like Oh my God, that is just genius. <laughs> I haven't used it. <laughs> That's a good strategy. Yeah, yeah I like that. <laughs> so then the person's like, oh yeah, yeah. They knew my name. They yeah, just yeah. didn't remember my last name. Yeah, right? yeah. And I'm like... <laughs> I said, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good trick. I haven't pulled it off yet, but just because I think when I do it, I'll probably start <laughs> laughing. But yeah, no. So it's... Uh, it's... It's... Uh, we all have these little things, these little quirks, right. That we mm. work on and deep down that nobody else necessarily knows. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've shared today, but yeah. you know, it is what it is. <laughs> Everyone's got something that they're working on. They should, if they don't, they should be. Mm-hmm. It definitely should be. Nobody's perfect. <laughs> no. no one is perfect. So everybody should be working on themselves a little bit in some way or another, whether it's mentally, physically, you know, you should be trying to improve something in your life. And what's been that process for you? Like, how has that changed and what tools have you picked up and let go of? Um, for me, uh, as I mentioned earlier, my weight has always been an issue. So physically it's, it's always been, it's, I was always active. I was an active kid. I was in martial arts, had my black belt by the time I was 16, 17, um, I was always active, but I was always a heavy kid, you know, not, I'd say not heavy, maybe chubby, if you will. Um, and then, uh, soon as school stopped and sports stopped, well, that caught up with me really quick. And I think in the two first years of the store, um, there was not enough air conditioning in the store. So during the summer I was drinking slush puppy, like it was water. Mm. And that amount of sugar that caught up with me quick. And, you know, I look back at pictures today. I'm like, why didn't nobody tell me I was so fat? Like, seriously. <laughs> but <laughs> like I, and I remember, I remember my, my heaviest that I ever got, uh, I was 255 pounds. And that was actually when I won counselor. 255 pounds and for uh anybody doesn't know me listening i i'm five foot six so like that was heavy um and then uh i had serious concerns for your health (laughs) (laughs) you know but it was like it was just 
but uh, and and then you know so i remember being heavy and then i you know i went to i went to see my doctor and my doctor recommended gastric bypass and i remember thinking to myself there's no way I'm getting, like, I'm not that fat. There's no way, right? Like, I remember going to the office of the doctor and I sat in the chair and the, the chair was like twice as big as a normal chair. So I'm like, there's no reason I should be here, right? And, uh, but I had become diabetic. Mm. And so at first, the first time it was offered to me, I was like, you know, I can beat this. You know, I'm no way I'm getting this gastric bypass. I'm, I can beat this. You know, I went to the gym. I worked out, spent money on personal trainers like crazy. And I never really, I went down and I felt better, uh, but not considerably. Right. And then it would be like a yo-yo effect within six months or whatever. Then I get back into old habits and away we go. And I always got heavier, you know, I'd lose 10 pounds, go up 15, lose 20, go up 25. So at one point, um, after I was mayor, I said, uh, I said, I'm tired of this. Like, okay. So then I really pursued and went to see the doctor and we booked gastric bypass. And, and I remember going to see the uh, operating doctor, my first appointment. And she goes, Oh, I'm looking forward to operating on you. And I'm like, why? <laughs> She's like, I've never gotten anybody so small. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> so I was kind of like, okay, you know? And so then I got my, my operation and I ended up, uh, it went really well, like no complications. Uh, first type, uh, first time I ever had an operation. So first time I went under and stuff like that. Uh, and I remember when they, they put me in the operating table, you know, and then they strap you in. And I had seen enough shows. I never clued in. I'm like, you know, that last minute panic. Of oh, like, yeah. Why are they strapping me in? Like, you know, obviously it's so you don't move during the operation. But, uh, but no, that, that went well. And my family was super supportive, you know, but even, even my dad, who I loved so much, he was like, well, why do you need that? You don't need that. You know, just go to the gym. Like you knew my dad, right? He was in great shape. He was, you know, but he didn't have the same struggles I did, right? So finally got that. Then, uh, geez, I dropped, I went down to 155, I think. That was my lowest. So 100 from one end to the other. And, uh, but then I started going up again. And, you know, it, it's, I came to realize that weight, uh, weight control, if you will, it's not, the 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 male mentality if you will i find is it's it's how we perceive it is it's a fight i got to win the fight right or it's a battle where if i lose the 20 pounds then i've won the battle but it's not a battle it's a war like it's never ending right it's it's continuously i always have to be on top of it you know and it's so easy to go back to old habits, you know? So for me that during the pandemic, like at the beginning of the pandemic, I had a program, I was working out downstairs. It was great. And then six months later, I'm like, I haven't done anything in six months and I've gained like 10, 15 pounds. I'm like, oh. you know, domes back open. So now it's, you know, back to the, to the gym twice a week. 
So that's something I'm working on. Mentally, as I mentioned earlier, it's just having those conversations with my wife and, you know, trying to, to better understand my own, uh, my own perceptions. You know, you know, a, a lot of, I've, I've gone through life on instinct, mm-hmm. right? And I think most people do that where they're just, they're thinking about, you know, there's not necessarily thought process. It's just action reaction and, you know, I'll go with the flow and stuff like that. But sometimes it's like, you know, counsel, I, I, I find I do that more where, um, where, you know, when I first got in on counsel, somebody would say something and I'd just act on instinct and say, well, yeah, that's a good idea or it's not a good idea. Now I try and put a lot more thought process into it. Why am I thinking that way? Is there a preconception that I should be aware of? You know, uh, I think for, you know, it's, uh, so trying to be more open to other people's point of view, because I think that's, that's very, that's very difficult as human beings. Cause we have a tendency not to want to be open to other people's views. We just want to be, you want everybody to be like you, right? <laughs> well, you feel safer right. in that regards. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, that's why you mix and mingle with people who feel like you or think the same way you do. You know, that's why we have political parties or this type of organization or this type of organization. Cause we want to feel safe. We want to surround ourselves with people who, who aren't a threat. So it's, uh, so that's what I've been trying to work on is trying to expand mm-hmm. <laughs> my comprehension of others point of view, because I think I was, I think that's, that's something that I, 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 from a political perspective that I have to be more open and, and, and learn to be because I, I have a tendency to just go on instinct and it's not necessarily the best thing to do, but. And so which points of views have you been trying to be more open in regards to? Um, the environment, you know, I, I you know, it's, uh, understanding more researching more i think that's uh, through the schooling i've done for the for my course my certification i think those courses help me understand as well um i mean it's uh it's never easy um you know for me for the environment uh i was always of the view you know you know, for example carbon right we hear about carbon taxes and this and that and i'm like you know you would ask me 10 years ago I would have been like, look, Canada is 1.5% of the global emissions. Even if we cut everything in half, you know, we're not going to change anything. Now I understand that, yes, there's the big polluters, but if you combine all the small polluters, then we actually do make an impact, right? So it's, that was, but that was very reactionary back then. And of course it's, where you're getting your information as well, right? Like if you listen to a certain type of radio station that's left-leaning or right-leaning or whatever the case is and you don't open your horizons, then you're going to find yourselves in that type of situation where you're always listening to the same and it just reinforces perhaps the misconceived foundation you have, right? So I, I, I try to be more open in that way. Um and I've been doing more research to try and understand that, um, you know, from the, from the municipal perspective side, right. How can we, 
how can we, because if I have somebody, like I said, for, for earlier, if I have somebody that's at zero looking to get a hundred and I know I can't go to a hundred, I need to be able to help them accept going to 50. And if I don't understand their point of view, I'll never be able to help them move forward. Right. Mm -hmm. Because we'll always be at odds if they, you know, as much as I'm asking them to be flexible, I have to be flexible as well. Because if we're not flexible, we're standstill, right? Yeah. It's always opposition. And I find that's unfortunate. That That's where political parties now seem to be always, always at oppositions. Like there's, and maybe, maybe it's because that's only the, that's only what they're showing the public, right? Mm -hmm. Because I know they have committees and that kind of stuff. And I don't know what kind of work's being done in those committees. I haven't really paid attention, to be honest, because I have enough on my own level of government to deal with. But I think that, you know, they should be making an effort to be a little bit more transparent on their side. Mm -hmm. Because I, I, I find that's one thing that it's, it's difficult to... Uh, find out what uh, our local MP or MPP is doing. Unless, you know, I have I have great relationship with our local MP. I have great conversations with him, you know, uh, my local MPP, not so much. And I, I understand I ran against her and, she, you know, I lost and, you know, uh, I've tried to build those bridges, but it doesn't seem to go anywhere. So it is what it is. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, if if... As politicians, I find when you talk to other politicians, a, a big worry for us is always those gotcha attitudes. Yeah. Right. It's always as if, you know, like, uh, you know, I've done, I was doing my webcasts and stuff and, you know, sometimes I'd get a question and it's like, you get that feeling, okay, is this a, I'm really interested to know question or is it? they're hoping I say the wrong thing so then they can nail me with it down the road. Right. Yeah. And, and so sometimes it, it, it can be frustrating. You know, I know, I know, uh, most mayors are not on social media. Um, they've tried and they were attacked right out the gate and they just gave up on it. Um, I've tried to have conversations with them, you know, yes, there is that aspect, but it can be a great tool for you as well, you know, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's an older generation as well, so oh, yeah. it's, it's challenging for them and I get that. Um, it's like, same thing for me. I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm active on Facebook. That's my go-to place, you know, uh, Twitter, not so much, not a big fan, you know, um, I've, I've downloaded TikTok. I don't get it. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, uh, so maybe someday I'll, I'll, I'll have somebody explain it to me where from a political point of view, how I can use it as a communication tool. Yeah. You know, Instagram, I'm on Instagram a little bit. Uh, that being said, it's mostly pictures. So it's, you know, sometimes I'll, you know, have a statement or something. I'll take a picture and <laughs> put that on Instagram and try and get some, some, back and forth communication going, but mm -hmm. it's, uh, it, it's, it's hard. It's finding that balance to everything that uh, is, is the challenge. Right. And like I say, not just in political life and in, in life in general, but I think that's, I think deep down, that's why we're here is trying to find balance oh, yeah. and moving forward and how to improve 
all those aspects, right? Mental, physical, emotional, you know, it's trying to, if we can find balance, then I think we'll be happy. And what are some of the things that you feel have been integral to you finding balance that you weren't taught growing up that you had to kind of learn on your own? And I know you've talked extensively about, you know, common ground. Yeah. Of, uh, yeah. Well, that was, uh, I'm, the, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm the baby of the family. So if you ask my sisters, I, I was, you know, uh, I was probably given everything growing up. That's what, that's the only boy and the baby. That's, that's the way they would probably say it. Um, but it's, I think to some degree, like my mom is an amazing woman. While you worked with mom, you know, she, she's amazing. Uh, anybody who, you know, most people don't know her name is Linda. They just call her mom. <laughs> so, um, I think to some extent, I think she probably laid down the foundation for a lot of things. Um, I was just too young to realize it. Right. So I think that there's a lot of things that she laid down the foundation that I kind of never paid attention or never thought of. And now that I'm older, um, I think some of that's coming back, you know, um, like, like you mentioned the patience thing, you know, uh, I'm sure when I was young, she tried to teach me patience. You know, dad wasn't patient and I was a boy. So I was taken after my dad. Right. It's just, it was normal back then. Um, but you know, it's, I think it's, it's just, it's a combination of things because like I said earlier, my, my son and the relationship with my son is, has forced me to relook at patience, you know, the job, the job forced me to to relook at patients. So I, I think that's where, you know, things have, have evolved from. Um, in regards to other things that I'm, I'm trying to work on, uh, more understanding, I think, is just coming about from the education that I've been taking recently and the world we live in today. You know, it's, it's, it's so negative that I want to make sure that I understand where things are coming from, you know, because if, if we can't understand the other side of the table or the other side of the argument, then how are we like going genuinely to empathize? Yeah. 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 Right. And it, it's so easy to say, no, you're wrong and I'm right. And, you know, and we'll keep having the argument of who's right and who's wrong for the, till the end of time. But if we can move past that, I mean, if you can, if you can get a younger, you know, a generation to really embrace having conversations, trying to understand and empathize, right? Like empathy is not something they teach, Right. It showed by behavior, by understanding, like seeing role models have empathy, you know, they can try and teach it and, you know, but, you know, uh, having, teaching kids when they have scuffles or whatever, like, you know, instead of just saying you go to corner, you go to a corner and, you know, 
don't talk to each other, well, maybe we should be saying, let's talk it out, you know? And I, <laughs> I don't want to come off like I'm a shrink or anything because I don't know any of this. All I know is my own life experiences. And, you know, when I look back at my life as a child and I'm talking like I had a great family life, but I'm talking like how I was how through the school system. Like there's a lot of things I'm like, I wish they would have taught me back then. Right. Because, you know, it's and not taught me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's interesting. And, you know, it's I always I always I'm intrigued how in Canada we have a tendency to try and reinvent the wheel, right? Like there's a whole world out there and they do things differently, you know? And when I read stories of how the education system in the Netherlands is, and I'm sitting there going, that's an interesting concept. Can it be done here? I don't know. I'm not an educational person. I'm not in the education system. And, you know, there's a lot of different factors, but has anybody tried or investigated, you know, that concept? I mean, from just from a a municipal point of view, if you will, um, you know, landfills, you know, we, we got, we closed down our municipal landfill, uh, several years ago now, you know, about eight years and we've got to deal with GFL and, you know, all the garbage goes there and it gets taken to Moose Creek landfill site. Um, but I'm like, in Europe, they don't have that. Like, you know, they have incineration in the middle of the town that's helping heat homes in, in, uh, in Venice and stuff or not Venice in, uh, one of the other countries, cities. And it's like, why can't we do that here? Like what, what is preventing us like, I always say, when I'm in a room, I want to be the dumbest person in the room because I want, to, I want other people to educate me, right? So why are we not going around the world and learning and from other places and see how they do things and what's successful and what's not? And can it be adapted here? You know, it just seems like sometimes that we're, we're continuously trying to do outdo everybody else by finding the, you know, the brand new way of doing something. Well, sometimes ideas work, <laughs> you know, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I want it. To, I want to find the best solution for us. And if that means I got to go copy somebody else to do it, so be it, <laughs> you know? So I think that's, uh, that's something I, I, I want to see is, uh, is trying to look outside our bubble you know, force people to look outside their bubble and, and see how they can find that empathy, you know, and try and improve things. And what's been the experience so far with greener technologies in the municipalities? Um, we actually have, uh, Monday night, we have a resolution that's coming to become part of, uh, FCM is the Federation Canadian municipalities, and they have a program, uh, for, uh, greenhouse gases, that kind of stuff. So, uh, we're going to try, uh, we're going to look, I'm assuming council is going to approve that to become part of that, uh, that group and try and, you know, work on that. Uh, staff have been mandated in this strategic plan to work on a climate action plan. 
Um, we actually have a few of the things we've done. Uh, we created an, uh, an energy reserve fund. So a few years ago, I want to say about five years ago now, um, we changed all the street lights to LED. So I don't have the exact numbers on me, but for example, say that it cost, uh, uh, I don't know, $250,000 and we save $50,000 a year. So after five years, it's paid. Well, that $50,000 savings continues to go into a reserve to help pay for other projects like that. You know, doing some changes at the arena, uh, LED lights in the baseball fields, that kind of stuff. We have actually a, uh, we're going to be building, uh, I'm not sure if they're starting construction this in the next few months, or I believe it's next year. We're going to have what's called a snow melt facility. So right near, uh, behind the, the dog park where, um, all the snow that's taken uh, in the wintertime that we plow the roads will all be uh, dumped there. So when it melts there, it's being filtered, basically, right? So it's not just going straight into the ground or going, you know, so stuff like that we're doing. Um, it's uh, one idea that I, I've had discussions with um, with the, uh, the director in charge is how we do our... Our RFP is a request for proposal, right? So how it works, there, there's a lot of laws and a lot of rules when it comes to government, but, you know, <laughs> people... They kind of have a monopoly on yeah, laws and rules. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so one of the things that I always, always inquired about was, um, why do we not give more jobs to local people, right? And I remember having that conversation with a lawyer and he says, well, you can't. You cannot actually prioritize somebody local because of the free trade agreements that the Canada has signed with other countries. So we cannot say, you know, uh, you know, criteria on your RFP is like, oh, well, if you're local, we'll give you an extra 100 points in the evaluation. Legally, we're not allowed to do that. So I had a conversation with him and I said, well, we have to put green energy forward. You know, so how about we don't give points for being local, but we give points based on your fleet and how much travel time you have to the job site, you know? So for example, if you're, you know, if you're uh, coming from Montreal, you're going to do 200 kilometers before you get to the job site. And this is the impact on the environment. But if you're local, you only got five kilometers, well, you're going to score higher, right? Yeah. And if somebody in Montreal in that situation, in that context, wants to be more competitive, then they would have to switch their fleet over to something that's greener. Exactly. So it's possible that you're not prioritizing the local guy. You're prioritizing whoever has the least impact, right? So for example, if he's got, he's only five, 10 kilometers away, but he's got a big diesel truck and the other guy's got a electric vehicle. You know, he's probably going to have a better impact, right? So it's things like that. So, you know, we're tossing around ideas. So, um, like I say, he's working on the climate. Uh, the director is working on the climate plan uh, for the township. So I anticipate having that conversation in public and saying, you know, we should we should do this. Like, you know, it's we're not saying that we're prioritizing him. We're just saying we're prioritizing whoever is the best for the environment. I'm not saying it's... it. it you know, it doesn't make the difference, but it, it gives points, right? And little things like that, you know, and 
you know, like you say, if the guy wants to be competitive, then, you know, you lose one contract. It's not a big deal. If you start losing five, 10, 20 contracts because your trucks are gas as opposed to electric as a business owner, I'd be like, it's time to go to electric. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's nice seeing more charging stations around the community and solar panels starting to become more commonplace and the windmills spinning again. It's yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's change, right? And nobody likes change at the end of the day. <laughs> it's, it's a reality. Um, you know, charging stations, we have a couple in the, from the township we got grants for, I think we have them at both our arenas. And then, uh, there was one, I remember when I was at, uh, when I had the store, I had donated for the one that was at the village bakery. Um, unfortunately they've closed down, but I'm sure somebody else is, is taking their place um, the building anyways. So it's, uh, yeah, no, but you see them more and more, you know, I'm shopping for a new truck next year. I'm looking at that cyber truck. I'm like, Oh <laughs> man. And that's probably my geek side coming out. Cause yeah. I, I, I'm looking at that. And I'm like, that is a badass truck. <laughs> so I'm like, Oh, that's, that's pretty cool. So we'll see if I go that route or not, but it's, uh, there, I mean, there's options now, right. Mm-hmm. And more and more, I think, we're going to think about those options. You know, I remember having a conversation with a, a car guy, a dealership guy, and he said, chances are in 10, 15 years, nobody will own a car. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, it's all going to be automated. So he goes, why would you own a car? He goes, you know, you'll just, you know, be like Uber automatic service everywhere. Yeah. He goes, at the end of the day, your car is sitting parked 95% of the time. I'm like, yeah, that's true. You know, but... Technology is like a snowball in itself, right? I mean, if you look at, you know, a hundred years ago when Ford was starting, it's like one new invention would spin off, you know, five inventions for that one. Yeah. Now it's like one invention is like a hundred inventions to deal with that one. So it's like, but uh, I, I always remember a quote. I can't remember who who wrote it exactly, but it was something along the lines that, uh, you know we'll be in trouble at the point where our technology surpasses our humanity. Mm. I think <laughs> I the, the problem is like someone says that and like, oh, I think I know the answer. But then you had doubt as to who you thought it was. So now I have doubt as to who I thought it was. <laughs> but I think that I think that took place around the uh, when nuclear bombs were invented. Oh, could be. And that we we had at that point exceeded technologically exceeded Seated. our our technology has exceeded our humanity's capacity yeah. Yeah. and i'm never sure because i watch so much sci-fi i'm like is that a star trek quote no yeah, i'm pretty yeah. sure it's an actual <laughs> quote it's not a star trek quote but it's nice to see that we haven't blown ourselves up no no and you know what as long as we have uh, the cap as long as there's still some humanity out there mm-hmm. um i think we'll be okay you know we're look i'm looking you know, like I say, I'm a big geek. So all the stuff that's going on, you know, looking to the future of Mars and stuff, I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm just waiting for the next, my big thing in the next couple of months is I can't wait for the next Matrix. Oh yeah? <laughs> oh, I'm a huge Matrix fan. <laughs> I was always, that came out, I was just blown away by it. It's, it's, it's rare. Like, I mean, I owned a movie store, uh, you know, a video store for almost 20 years and I was in the industry before that. It is rare to find an original idea movie. You know, it's, it's, there's always things that, you know, it's a, just a rehash of a previous story, right? 
you know, like, you know, when they start making, remaking Scooby-Doo and stuff, it's like, okay, we're running out of ideas, right? But when they're, when the story comes along and it's, it's mind-blowing like that, where it's original and you, you never thought of it, and perhaps there was some concept written in a book somewhere, but I, I remember when that came out, I was like, I don't think I've seen a movie like this before. You know, so, yeah. yeah. So it'll be interesting. And now I, I saw the trailer for it. I'm like, oh. He looks like more like John Wick yeah. than Neo. So it's like John Wick meets Matrix. This is going to be good. Yeah, Neo was a lot less puffy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'm very glad that we had this conversation. So am I. And uh, I hope that I get to have more with many other people and also have recurring conversations with you because you're a delight to talk with. Oh, thank I, you. I love getting to know more about the community, what's taking place, how to take place. Yep. It is, it is emboldening. To, to know there's all these opportunities and to also talk with somebody who's already in it, right? As somebody yeah. like for myself, I just came back. Yeah. You know, I'm just starting to get reconnected with my surroundings. Yeah. And then to be able to talk with somebody who has been doing it for years, it makes it so much less daunting. Yeah. No, I, and like, uh, anybody listening, my, my door is always open, you know, my email address, my phone numbers on the website of the township, russell.ca. I mean, I'm more willing and happy to have conversations with people because I, I think through those connections and through those opportunities, that's how we make our community a better place. And I fully support your approach for empathy and for challenging yourself and growth and the humility that you you have for your position and your approach and it's it's very rewarding and it's very refreshing especially coming off of a federal election <laughs> in which knives were out everywhere so yeah yeah it's 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 unfortunate you know and it's and, and it's challenging as well uh because you know de depending who you who you like right it's yeah. like you might like your local guy, but you don't like the, the person at the top, right? But, you know, that's why I say municipal elections are so important because at the end of the day, you know, um, municipal government is the government level that affects your life the most. And that's where the impact's going to feel, you know? If at the federal level something happens in the military, chances are you're not going to know about it or you're not going to feel it. You know, at the provincial level, yeah, okay, the healthcare system might impact you or the education system might impact you. But at the municipal level, no water, no sewer, <laughs> no garbage pickup, like something at the local no recreation, level. Recreation, yeah. Recreation, you know, that's where you're going to feel it. So, you know, people, people should be uh, paying attention, getting involved, you know. And, you know, at the very least, make sure that the people that are that you're electing you know are good representation of who you are who you want to be because i think that's where you know that's the the best way to have a, a fantastic community thank you thank you so much my pleasure <laughs> if you want to hear more stories from members of our community écoutez a local podcast so spotify apple amazon a cjro radio.com <laughs>